This is a story of epic deeds, of the god of murder's death and the struggles of his progeny, of a forgotten gaming genre's resurgence, and of a newly founded medical company's rise to become a legendary game development studio. Welcome, child of Ball. Baldur's Gate awaits. So, as you probably heard from our very nice and fancy intro, um, today in uh, the first episode of the new, newly rejigged, reworked Projectile Lunchcast, where this season we want to cover some of the greatest and most impactful games released in 1998, uh, we're going to cover one of my personal all-time favorites, and like a game that has, uh, for, for many reasons, like holds a very special place in my heart and life, and that is... Baldur's Gate, the first RPG from Bioware. And uh, me, that is Marcel, and I am once again joined by my longtime collaborators in podcasting and video game opinion crime, Richard. Hello. And Basti. Hi, hi. Who are essentially the Minsk and Boo of this episode. What does that mean? We'll hopefully get to that later. I'm going to go so, for the eyes. Excellent. I can see. I mean, essentially, you know, this, this episode's already over. Like, you, you delivered, you know, the. The catchphrase, the punchline, <laughs> what else is there to add, really? You know, Minsk goes for the eyes, and that's good, because, you know, going for the eyes is the best way for a miniature giant space hamster to kick evil's ass, which is, bottom line, what Baldur's Gate is really about. Yeah, that's the, the, so, the essence of Baldur's Gate. Pretty much. I, I mean, that's pretty much the essence of the fantasy genre, I would say, in general, probably. <laughs> Um, so the way we want to go about this is that we say, okay, you know, um, each episode we're going to cover one of these uh, hugely impactful games. And we're going to go through, you know, looking a little bit first at the, the context of the, the genre or the developer, whatever, you know, really to explain why this game had such an impact. Um, that we, of course, want to talk a little bit about the game itself. You know, what is this game? Uh, I would hope... For, I, I, I dread to think that there's people out there who could listen to the Projector Lunchcast who do not know what Baldur's Gate is and why it's fantastic. But, you know, we live in dark, dark times. So probably there are people like that out there. Um, quick pulse. Yeah. Have you guys both played Baldur's Gate, actually? No. Remember, this was this was part of our pile of shame games. Like, I haven't, I haven't played Baldur's Gate. Like, I've... That, that's pretty pile of shame yes. Yeah. I, I've played... I, like, I have... I'd say half an hour of Baldur's Gate. Let's say that. Holy shit. What bus do you have, right? I played Baldur's Gate 1, and um, even more important, I finished uh, Baldur's Gate 2, which makes it automatically one of my biggest gaming achievements of all time. Because Because you finished a game. That's true. Finishing finishing a game game. and a a long game, that's that's respect. Richard, please pull one out for the busty. Like on on the floor, wherever you are right now. Yep, all over my, my power strip. I'm just pouring it out. That's that's the level of commitment we're all about here to project the oh, yeah. Um Then we want to talk about. So I mean, we already took some of that away right now. Uh, maybe you know, the, is there any personal context or anecdotes or something? You know, why these games mean a lot to us. Uh, in this case, as I mentioned, for example, um, there's quite a lot for me 
with other games maybe not so much but you know that's we're just adding a personal touch here because i looked up a list online of how do you make good podcasts and people said why not add personal touch oh great including the broken english <laughs> but um, that would mean i would like th this would require some sort of personality right mm, mm, mm. Mm. we're gonna have to work I on mean, that for you yeah Busty's personality is xbox game pass Yes, this is true. Have I told you? Wait, that was way before the... the, the... This was, uh, I believe, I mean, you know, companies work with long timelines, but I believe Baldur's Game came out came out before Xbox Game Pass was a, a sparkle in Phil Spencer's eyes. Maybe we're we're going to do this like uh, like a time unit, like AC and, and, and BC, like AD and BC. Work in some sort of anecdotes. Like BXB nineteen ninety eight in context of of Xbox Game Pass somehow. That would be peak busty. Yeah, we're we're gonna like do a whole epi like a whole season of episodes, and each one of them is putting Xbox Game Pass into like. So, my name is Bastian Tsun, and today, class, we're looking at. Is it really Xbox Game Pass's fault that Caesar was murdered? We'll find out. I could actually see myself watching this on YouTube, Basti, if you're interested in hmm. doing that. Write this down. Yeah. So, let's get yeah. it started. Um, let's travel back in time to the late 90s. Set the stage. The late 90s were quite different from today. And not only was there not a global pandemic keeping people locked up and everything was on fire, or at least, you know, there was no social media. So, if everything was on fire, certainly didn't feel that way to me. Like, things felt happier. Um, but the RPG genre on a PC had steeply declined. Like in the early 80s and throughout the 80s and early 90s, um, RPGs were huge on PC. Um, you know, you had really groundbreaking stuff like Richard Garriott's Ultima series when he was still, you know, at the peak of the of the PC gaming food chain uh, rather than selling his blood on eBay to finance making more games. Uh, you had the Wizardry series from Surtec, oh, yeah. who are probably better remembered these days. I would assume for the jack alliance games which also had a ton of great characters yeah and uh, and of course there was maybe a more relevant to bowler's gate there was ssi's legendary gold box series um which is the name of a you know not really connected but it's a collective term that's used for a series of i think around 10 licensed D, so dungeons and dragons basically the, the the grand daddy um of the pen and paper rpg scene industry genre idea concept call it what you want mm -hmm. um uh, set in the forgotten realms which is the same setting as Baldur's gate and it is really their super generic european mostly inspired fantasy setting and of course the dragonland series which maybe some people are familiar from uh, familiar with from a series of i think pretty successful back in the day novels right I think right yeah yeah i i have read it i have read a dragonlance novel excuse me and there was also a Dark Sun uh, game, which is a uh, uh, post-apocalyptic kind of like D&D setting. It was great. I like that, Basti's contribution to this thing is, pardon me, there was also a post-apocalyptic thing with like all the raiders and slaves. You do oh, have yeah. a certain brand, don't you? The, the the interesting thing for me out of this one, when you put this up there, was like, you're like, hey, um, SSI is like legendary gold box system or a series. And I like looked at this, I was like, what, the f what, a, what is this? You never heard of this, have you? I've not. I've not. I don't know but, if it was a, but, but, a Europe but, but thing or a me up, Basti. thing. Back me up, Basti. Mm -hmm. Like you've been playing PC games for a long time. Holy it, shit! I think yeah. it's. I think it's fair to call them legendary among yeah. you know, like for 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 yeah. that kind of audience. Love that. Like but, the, the. Have you never like played something like Fantasy General or something? 
uh the, like this is this is not richard richard was... played fantasy general for several years and was even paid for it by the government please, please uh for context let me let me uh fill you in on this i thought that uh dungeons and dragon games were like golden axe like you know they were side-scrolling beat-em-ups well there were two of them yes exactly <laughs> i have all so... the achievements for them on xbox so th those are the ones i know about i think yeah oh perfect xbox segue we're getting close <laughs> But I think, you see, that was when we came up with this idea of, mm -hmm. like, doing this new yeah. spin on Project Launchcast. That was actually one of the things that I found most interesting. Because personally, the late 90s, I only played on PC. I didn't really right. follow any console gaming news. Richard, you were complete reverse. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I think that is that is very interesting. Busty is kind of like, as always, in between because Busty yeah. cannot commit to anything long term. Any True. ideas? So uh, I think it's, uh, it's uh, today it's my turn to shine, and I'm really looking forward when we talk about more console-centric stuff to learn from you guys because I have no personal connection with any of that stuff. That's going back. True. Uh, going back to uh, to the Goldbox collection, um, I think one interesting game in there was also part of that was the original Neverwinter Nights. So not the Bioware game from the late 90s, but the original Neverwinter Nights, which was the first graphical MMO uh, exclusively on AOL. Um which is also, you know, um, quite interesting because, yeah, it's it's in a way the 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 first step on the path to stuff like World of Warcraft. Mm -hmm. I think you were not even able to play that in 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 Germany, right? It's probably a US only thing. Probably not. I would assume. I I don't know when AOL came to Germany. I just remember by the late nineties. By the time we're talking about with Baldur's Gate, it was virtually impossible to open a magazine in Germany without getting a AOL CD in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The same. We have the same the same phenomenon. Like for a while, it looked like if the post if the apocalypse would happen now, in the post apocalypse, AOL CDs would become the currency. Yeah, they're, they're trading anyways. Give me, give me five AOL CDs for that leather armor. Something like that, yeah. Wild times. Um, so yeah, um, as mentioned, late nineties, so like you know, early nineties or so. RPGs hugely successful. They were a huge part of PC gaming, which of course at the time you know was. Was much more niche and hardcore still, uh, you know all the all the cliches from '90s movies about all the nerds playing PC games and RPGs. There's some truth to that problem. Tom Hanks um, movies outlining the dangers of D and D. Hmm. Yeah, that is. Uh, I mean, yeah, like by, by then, I think by then D and D was kind of okay. But like, yeah, when it first started, uh, early '80s or so, like D and D right. was like it, it was at the time the huge danger to to the youth. The same way that rock and roll music was, that the Beatles were, that heavy metal was, that comics were at some time, that video games are, of course, still to this day. Um, you know, I, I think every time I, I'm really curious to see, you know, what's the danger. So, Richard, you're 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 a dad now. You know what yeah. what the danger when your kid grows up is going to be. Besides, I, it's going to be something new. I mean, I think I, I think um, virtual YouTuber. By like you were right, I think by the by '92, uh, the rage had passed from from uh, Dungeons and Dragons to Mortal Kombat, probably. I remember and that hip -hop being also. and hip hop, hip uh, yeah, lyrics. Um, we had to get the uh, the thing on there. Yeah, I think um, I think the danger is prop. Well, the current danger, yeah, it's going to be like Roblox or like some online gaming thing where they're just going to try to like kidnap the children. Sell they're going to sell kids. That, that's my prediction. Write it down. They're going to sell kids. So in, going in, back to Dark Sun, Busty. In a, in a battle pass or. That's what no, they'll call it. Season format where you can sell your kid. Tell your kids. Yeah, Doctor. Okay, that's old predictions. Um, but I think, like in general, maybe 
I, I wonder if strategy games stayed a little bit more relevant for for a time um, or transitioned more than than uh, RPGs because as you said like RPG were heavily in a decline but they had also a strong competition from Japan from uh, Japan right uh, yeah I mean yeah uh, that's why I said like on, on PC they were in decline because I think like you had this difference where, you know where where something like Final Fantasy VII of course that was super hip and cool right like that was an RPG but like you had MTV commercials and stuff like that where and, like a lot of these PC early 90s RPGs were like do you you know like like the kind the kind of thing where even if you're nerds Playing PC games, you could still make fun of the people playing those games because they were yeah. super nerdy, you know, like always trying to kick downwards. And um, by by the mid '90s and then coming towards the late '90s, like the, the RPG genre was really in a steep decline for several reasons. Uh, you suddenly, of course, had huge, you know, hits, and in the case of Doom, like cultural phenomenons like Doom or Command and Conquer, which uh, they were fast-paced, you know, uh, just running around or being real-time. Um, impressive production values for the time they looked great they played great you know it was just a, a fantastic thing uh, of course both of these games for example also really slowly started to ring in the age of multiplayer gaming um everybody wanted to kill their friends in doom or you know play against each other and tank rush each other in command and conquer and uh, compared to that most of these older rpgs which were almost always turn-based uh, they maybe were visually outdated um they were richard favorite word alarm clunky no play you know interfaces i mean some of these some of these first person rpgs essentially like you had a small port that showed the game world but like 90 percent of the, of the stuff on your screen was menus and ui around it so it's probably fair to say these games were not sexy and stuff like doom and command and conquer made them look even less sexy um there were some exceptions. Uh, this was also around the time, like early 90s, I think, in 1994, when the first Elder Scrolls game, Arena, came out. And oh, yeah. these, of course, you know, um, they may have been partially clunky. Um, they may have certainly been buggy, but like they were hugely technologically, uh, uh, you know, ambitious uh, in, in just giving you this huge world to wander around, even more so with Daggerfall. So that is, of course, the exception because every rule, as we know, needs to have an exception. And you can say that Elder Scrolls was, you know, trying to to sexy up the rpg genre um but most of the games at the time weren't but but, but thanks sorry go even ahead games like 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 fallout which are now like absolutely all-time favorite beloved classics were fairly clunky that's right like if you if you play fallout one today you realize oh a lot of the systems movement and controls of that game are rough um do you think we should have like a if this was a video we should have like a small counter in the corner where how often we say clunky and then you like you guys have to stop saying how how veins keep popping on riches it's the know, worst foreheads. descriptor for anything it's it's fair it's fair it's it's a it's a uh yeah no, it's one of those words that doesn't say much but also at the same time i feel like if i say to somebody hey this game the controls are clunky or something they kind of understand what i mean i I'm think not sure i feel like it's uh it's describing your food as tangible well, I, th I think you guys have described my food preferences as tangible or food-like <laughs> in the past. So, you know. So the, the games, like, the, the, they, they were, um, basically, there's a bit of a stigma at this point for turn-based RPGs. Yes. And, you know, let's just say, you know, they were not very user-friendly. Is that okay? Is that better than Clunky? Sure. You sound so disappointed. No, I mean, I, that actually makes yeah. sense. Like, definitely. Like, um, I, I don't want to get into a whole... <laughs> I don't want to drag you guys over the use of clunky, but yeah, like, I, I can see... I, I just think um, 
or for like the turn-based RPGs, it's 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 valuable to know like, hey, when you boot this thing up, like the gameplay window is going to be a fourth of the screen, and the rest is going to be these these like giant uh, buttons about how to slightly move forward, or you know, this is your character's mood, and he only cries at the moonlight. Like, there's a lot of info uh, overload, and it's hard to tell what's important and what's not. And then like, I think um, I think I, maybe we'll talk about it later when you get into the whole uh, full full speed with pause sort of thing like how it can feel like you're just kind of mashing your head like no 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 like there's a lot of those moments it seems in in my limited experience with some of these things does that make more sense i think it's all i think it's also pretty intimidating you know like as, as right. you mentioned, like you know you you start a game and like it's 90 percent character stats and whatever mm-hmm. on the screen and like the tiny tiny window with outgraded outdated graphics pretending right. to be a fantasy city you're like okay this is not the you know the the most welcoming um kind yeah. of game uh, and thankfully, you know, something happened in Canada. There was not ice hockey for once, um, actually, in, in Edmonton, which, you know, most people up until then certainly probably only knew as, hey, that's the kind of place where like, Wayne Gretzky guy started playing in the NHL before he became the GOAT of all time, which is also something I find interesting because, like, in almost every sport, it feels like there's several people competing. But I think in ice hockey, everybody agrees Wayne Gretzky is the greatest of all time. There's no, there's no discussion. There's nobody else making any other uh, putting putting forth any other candidates um and that is that uh three uh young students at the university of alberta uh greg seshok right ray musica and augustine yip met um you know during their medical studies and they bonded over shared interests like gaming both video gaming and um pen and paper rpg gaming as well and um, you know, during their studies, they grew frustrated with the. Um, sorry, I, I think I put clunky here as well. Somewhere oh, again, no. Oh no, with the unintuitive and um, extremely clunky, largely text-based medical uh, training software at the time. So it was just a lot of like, here we're going to describe, you know, in in lots of very you know, important sounding text, what the symptoms may be or what, what kind of illness this person may have. And as video gamers, they decided, you know, there is probably something cooler to do than this. So uh, they created some medical software, uh, which later on they described as, you know, kind of like a point and click adventure for, you know, for the human body, um, because it would have such revolutionary and, you know, at the time and still sounding crazy to think about things like, this software training doctors, you know, to diagnose the human body has features such as an image of the human body. So people can point and say like, yeah, this is about where it hurts me, uh, you know, which is not, really sounds weird. But, you know, that was that was the state of things at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, they did two of these these uh, you know, programs, um, which they managed to make some money from. And, you know, then they, they finished the studies and it was time to be doctors. And they realized making software and games especially is actually kind of fun it's almost more fun you know than poking around in people and so they um decided to throw in i think a hundred thousand dollars as the starting budget together you know that they made for that they pulled from from what they earned from their medical stuff and they found a company called bioware to make video games and um the first game they released is actually not something that they really developed themselves like they met some other guys uh including trent oster which would for a while become a, another major figure in in bioware and you know how they how they communicated with their players in the community uh, who had been working on a mech 
um, shooter action game. Um, they almost finished it, but then their company ran out of money, fell apart. So um, yeah, they had met before during the summers, and and uh, Trent Oster brought an almost kind of finished game over to Bioware, where they rebranded it as Shattered Steel, and they shipped uh, uh, shipped it, uh, shopped it around, sorry, to to ten different publishers, um, notably EA, who of course is the owner of Bioware at this time. Um, didn't have any interest in all, just yeah, was like that. Sorry, guys, but not cool. Um, <laughs> that's brutal. And they managed, however, they managed to land a deal with Interplay, you know, which is not bad because obviously, as at that time, like 90s PC, Interplay you know, was one of the key players. It's hard to imagine for younger kids because Interplay has been dead for a long time now. Um, but you know, back then they were a major player and they were like, yeah, this looks cool enough. Um, Shadow Steel did have some very interesting uh, technological stuff. Uh, for example, like deformable terrain, you know, at a time, which is something that still a lot of games to this day do not have. So, like, as you stomped around with your mech and you shot at stuff, um, the terrain would change. It was pretty fully featured. I think it had like 32 missions. It had 16 player online uh, battles, it had co op. So, a lot of great stuff. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes in, in the video game world, making a great game is not enough. And it came out right about, I think, at the same time as the Mercenaries standalone expansion for Mech Warrior 2, which was, of course, you know, the, the 800 the, pound yeah. gorilla of the genre. Right. You know, like it, when it comes to Mech on PC, um, Mech Warrior is, is and always was and hopefully always will be king. So, it, it was a decent enough success you know it sold some copies uh, again it was technologically impressive but it just couldn't compete with mac warrior 2 mercenaries um, and then later on the yeah interest in the genre also declined for a while so yeah that that was that but at the same time as you know those people finished off again the almost almost completed uh, shattered steel they were also working on a different pitch for uh, for an isometric rpg multiplayer strategy ask like you know not quite sure yet what it should be, a game called Battleground Infinity. And the idea there was that it was a, you know, like mixing different mythologies. I think it was like the, the setting itself was um, Norse mythology, which as we all know is super popular in video games these days. But um, you also like you know, some of the artworks had stuff like Anubis in there. So I think it was really like mixing different gods and stuff and, um, you know, in, in this isometric game. And then they, they wanted to, sh- again, shop it around to to publishers then it said to interplay like hey you published your last game you want to see this interplay was like nah we're good and then interplay however heard you know through the grapevine because everybody in this industry even then it was much smaller but to this day it feels like everybody talks to everybody and everybody knows everybody they heard through the grapevine that bioware was about to pitch their game to um to virgin which I think was across the street or so at the time from from Interplay. They were like, whoa, 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 hold on. If you're flying down here to show it to them, you better also show it to us. <laughs> um, allegedly, this was mainly driven by Fergus Urquhart, who was in charge of Interplay's Black Eye label, who had made Fallout, who would make later on uh, more RPGs, and who's also, of course, the founder of Obsidian, who are now making games for Xbox Game Pass. Basti, are you happy? I'm delighted. He came back to life. He died and came back to life during that. <laughs> Just for that. Yeah. Just from sheer delightment. <laughs> um, yeah, he uh, allegedly he heard that they were going to pitch, you know, to the competitors across the stream. Was like, hold on, they should come here as well. So they showed that to them. 
and um, they were pretty impressed with the uh, with the uh, you know uh, the graphics like this isometric real time that was all pretty cool and looking cool but the mythological pitch like it didn't feel quite right to them and interestingly enough previously when when Bioware first came to them and said like hey we want to do this when they were declined by Interplay they were one of the reasons they said no was that they had just acquired the D&D license you know for Dungeons Dragons games they were like why would we want your weird you know mythological RPG um, if we have D&D so now that they looked at it um, yeah they decided the tech is cool engine is cool there's something cool here but you know it's it's not quite the right thing this mythological thing and um and this is a cool bit i had known before but bust you contributed that that um you said that as part of the pitch description somebody mentioned it's kind of like D &D, um yep. to which interplay then supposedly answered well that's what a coincidence because we have the actual D, D license you know um so at the end of those discussions what happened is they said okay it's not going to be battleground infinity it's going to be a dungeons and dragons game set in the forgotten realms um what of course uh, retained and has also you know attained near mythological status by now in, in among pc gamers is the name of the engine it's it was the infinity engine still and interestingly enough you know 20 years later almost that became kind of like a hallmark in the in the first wave of big successful gaming kickstarters where you know stuff like Pillars of Eternity, or say they would say this is like the good old Infinity Engine games of the past, you know, which uh, encompasses, of course, Baldur's Gate one, two, but also Planescape Torment and Icewind Dale. So like really um, a non-stop series of fantastic D and D RPGs on PC. I really loved the story of this game pitch, by the way. I, I think this is probably one of the most interesting things. Where it's, they they walk into a building um, with a with a pitch about a game that is. Pretty drastically different than uh, than what they came out with. Like I, 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 that must have been such a, a interesting meeting. And they're like, well, okay, well, how how married are you to the uh, the um, mythology thing? And I'm like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> like, all right, well, what about multiplayer? I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's it's it 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 made such a shift. I I, I like how it was described as just kind of like um this like serendipitous meeting, but. Uh, I really would would love somebody to break down like how they started out from this and went to this because it just seems like somebody's like, well, what about D and D? And they're like, yeah, we can totally do that. Why not? Also, I mentioned the impact because if, uh, a lot of them have been total total nerds, your young young aspiring game developer, yeah. and then all of a sudden you bring you bring your game pitch. It's like, oh, look, it's it's like D and D, this thing we all love, etc. And then um, all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, then make it D and D then. Uh, that does have like a little young kind of young, like holy yeah. shit what is happening right now for right. Me, right i made a game that's i want to make a game that's kind of like star wars and they're like well why don't you just use star wars because we have the license and you're like oh wow yeah you know it's definitely you know uh but it's also funny like you know with with, with your personal experiences now in the games industry it's the kind of thing you can totally see happen right 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 like, I mean, yeah like like there is that disorganized harmony sometimes that uh, that comes in so it, it, it that, that was such an interesting thing that they walked in selling one thing and they walked out like just kind of collabing on something else so that was really neat 
Um, so yeah, that is essentially you know the the context of what led to the to the creation of Baldur's Gate, uh, but also like with the development itself, it's kind of interesting. Obviously, you know, again, this was a company. This was like the first time they really developed a game themselves from the ground up because Shattered Steel had been, you know, brought in almost completed from from somebody else externally. Um, these were still you know medical students, um, so it was like the first time they really tried to do a big ambitious game. And what is also interesting there is that um, and, you know, I've read recently through through the um, 25 years uh, history uh, book for, for Bioware, which I just released, which is awesome for fans. And they're all pretty open about the fact, yeah, you know, most of the people who worked on Baldur's Gate had never worked on a game before. Um, for example, like the guy who did all the gameplay programming, you know, which for a game like this, of course, a hugely important role. Uh, he was fresh out of school. Like it was like he, uh, they hired him when he, I think, was still in school. Wow. So um, this was the first thing he did, uh, you know, which, of course, uh, today that would be absolutely imaginable, un- unimaginable to say, hey, yeah. you know, um, we, we are making a game for, you know, because, you know, while they were a small studio, again, Interplay was a major publisher at the time. And, you know, just mm-hmm. imagine these days somebody saying like yeah you know we're making this game for activision um the lead programmer is this kid who's just about finishing school in let's see ah 10 minutes um so yeah these were indeed still wild times in the 90s that yeah that, um, that's a very um startup like uh like how you say that like that's like the stereotypical classic startup it's like we're working real hard and the payout's going to be great and like you don't get a lot of stories like that anymore uh, to showcase, I think some of the you know that wild stuff. Um, I forgot the name. The gentleman, I think, who was this? Like the the, the gameplay programmer. And um, back then, Bioware did um, nicknames in the credits for people. Mm-hmm. And I think the nickname they gave him was like "Stay away from the art department" because you know the programmer always wanted to do art. I think these days he's a full time professional artist. Aww. Uh, so you know, so, like it's really this really weird wild time where everybody was doing everything. Um, well, also, and, also mention. Well, Imagine, like, nowadays, you can at least, like, you have stuff like visual scripting, you have a lot of tools and engines which make it easier for you, you have publicly available engines, and you have the internet, like, oh, I have no idea how to code that stuff, or I'm, I'm, I'm running into two problems, so let me check uh, YouTube videos, which, like, but back then, that was almost impossible, yeah, you could maybe get a book from the library about coding or whatever, and that, that was it, right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, you had to use the Dewey Decimal System punch cards. Mm-hmm. Isn't that one of one of Scrooge McDuck's nephews? Yeah, the Huey, Louie, and Dewey decimal system. That's they invented a system for libraries. It was I'm surprised you don't know that. It was one of the bigger, better episodes of DuckTales, where they just, you know, invented a way to categorize entire libraries. You know, they had the one episode where they are, I think, in a, in a allegedly haunted castle in in Scotland. As a kid, I was super scared, but I couldn't sleep that night when I first saw that. True story. Scotland can be a scary place, judging by the people we've met from there. That's true. That's actually true. Yes. Um, so keep yeah, I mean, I like, that, yeah, paint, paint the whole picture because like the, the the notes here that you have about like them making this game, it, it's a very interesting uh, setting, and I didn't want to talk over it. Yeah, so, like, it's crazy considering you know how how huge that game became, how successful, how groundbreaking. Uh, the conditions under which it was made are crazy. Um, mm-hmm. 
uh, Ray and Greg were at the time still working as doctors. Like they were not taking any, any salary from Bioware because you know money was was short. They were really working, living month to month as a company. So Ray and Greg did not take a salary. They were still working as doctors at nights and over weekends to make enough money for themselves and also to bring some of that money back into the company to to keep Bioware going. And um, again, as I mentioned, a lot of the people had not ever worked on a game before. Um. And yeah, all of that, of course, you know, combined with the ambition, it's a it's a big game. It's a graphically very big and uh, ambitious game. I think Basti can talk about that in a second. Um, yeah, of course, there was a lot of crunch. They they do say that you know for for last push, um, they frequently worked seven days or so, and that in between at night, some of them worked as doctors. So it, it was all crazy. You know, like these are all the ingredients you would normally assume you're hearing in the post-mortem why did game X fail or why was it such a clusterfuck here for once things did come together magically maybe that is you know, the starting point of the of the what you still hear sometimes in press stories the, the Bioware magic or the idea oh, of yeah. that concept of like it'll come somehow come together because here very clearly despite you know a lot of adversity it did come together and um, yeah, uh, Basti, like uh, as I mentioned, like you, you dug up some cool stuff about like why it's not just a game that looks look great at the time, uh, still holds up today, but like you know, there's also like some really uh, cool or fancy technological stuff going on there. Yeah, uh, because it was interesting when I when I played back as a teenager, I was not even aware what was changed and why that game felt so great. But um, you uh, mentioned before isometric and. Basically, every game with that like view had a tile-based system, and I wasn't aware, even though it makes total sense, that one of the, the technical marvels of that game was that they made use of the new DirectX system, which meant allowed them to basically create one big in picture in Photoshop, right? run one big uh, wallpaper, and use that as a background and just uh, plaster a, a walkable plane over that, which means that imagine games before every single tile of a game was uh, calculated so heavily into the game code uh, would uh, be a strain on performance and thus uh, creating limitations but all of a sudden they could just like create a beautiful artwork piece which would mean almost no impact or a very very small impact on the performance on the hardware whatsoever and make that to the walkable background and if you think about it Baldur's Gate looked absolutely stunning and beautiful at the time, um, while also allowing you way more uh, freedom of movement because you were not sticking to a tile system, um, which then further got enhanced by hey, they just used the, the drag uh, uh, mouse move mechanic from from Command and Conquer, and all of a sudden you have a game which feels less I'm not saying the word right now but way more free and and and, and modern and that became a new standard and I believe that this um, allowed them to 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 that, that was part of the success of the game and which made the game even though it was incredibly uh, complex uh, way more accessible. That's pretty cool. And you know, it's true, as as Basti said. Like due to that, I think the backgrounds still hold up to this day, as was evident when they were, you know, they they remastered them a couple of years ago. Those backgrounds really still look good. And also, one of the side effects was that this was the first time ever in my in my at that time, admittedly, kind of young gaming life, um, that I uh, bought a game that came on six CDs. Crazy. 
So you came on speedies at least. So I mean, you're feeling it. Like, it did, yeah. But uh, think about that. You know, like, think about like how much a, a single CD at the time. There was an outrageous amount of data right there. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Three hundred megabyte, right? That is um the 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 thing that makes me interested about that is like because like at the same time you were buying Baldur's Gate on six CDs, I was buying like Final Fantasy on multiple discs, and being like, whoa. But to be honest, also here, I think something uh, which maybe was was one of the reasons it came on, on so many CDs is that audio compressing was shit at the time. And <laughs> yeah. all the other games or previous games had a lack of or almost no voiceover whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about Wizard Dry games, etc. And that game was heavily into to, to like a lot of the, the uh, Jennifer Hale, etc. Some of the, the today... A very, very still important and relevant voice actors um, lend their role to voice the the uh, cast of characters. Which I mean, that was maybe contributed to the amount of CDs. That's probably a theme that you'll see uh, across this. Like we're we're knee deep in in the uh, the PlayStation on console side and probably PC side. Like we're we're knee deep in the CD push, which was all about audio in a big way. You know, like um, like suddenly developers kind of had access to to really kick up their their audio production and i think a lot of them took advantage of it and like hey if the worst case is multiple discs then whatever you know like who's there wasn't really a time where people would complain about it right it's so slow think, but it has a lot of data even for- you know like i got you, you switch the disc whenever like unless the only time i've heard people complain about disc switching was when it was like gameplay related like to go back to this area switch the disc but if it's like you play through to disc one you play through to disc two like nobody really ever bothered with that being released i've not heard complaints about that so it was like the audio stuff in this era is really neat um but yeah like seeing like like i mean jennifer hill has done a few a few bioware projects right I mean, was this was really like so? I mean, getting seeing those track records kind of, kind of start and seeing how how audio um, would oh, establish shoot. itself across that, right? Like, I also realized that with a with a huge um, background assets, they heavily reduce texture caching and streaming as CDs are super slow. Like that's the reason why for a long mm-hmm. time game developers stick to cartridges because they're mm-hmm. very very fast with uh, texture yeah. caching. But limited in in storage size, but with a huge amount with that huge but limited amount of assets, um, they had no issue with texture popping or CDs being just too slow to render basically mm-hmm. the textures of a huge huge map. Sorry for yeah. interrupting you. No, that's really okay. Bad. It's uh, like I said. I think I think stuff being on CD is one of the one of the more interesting changes for this era of gaming. I think it's pretty. There's probably a reason why we didn't go back to carts, but maybe maybe you'll see it. Maybe you'll see with like the solid state stuff coming back. Maybe you'll see some weirdness there. There's also a fun little anecdote uh, from the German perspective when it comes to audio. So this was you know like late nineties. This was really the stone age of of localization. <laughs> like you know um, a lot a lot of times games just didn't get localized. If they did frequently, it was terrible because it was done by people who didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. In the initial release of Baldur's Gate, um, I guess somebody who did the casting or the local or whatever was maybe not overly familiar, let's say, with, with German culture and language. Um, so they cast several of these you know, heroic uh, high fantasy characters with a, a Saxon, Saxony accent, which, uh, let's say, the rest of Germany doesn't maybe have the highest opinion of people who use this accent. You know, it's kind of like, what 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 maybe in America you would you would say about you know, like really 
the thickest redneck accents or so. I get you. So yeah. So you would have stuff like, for example, there is this. Um, there are several ladies of the night present in the game. You can't do anything with them, but they just stand around, you know, adding a little bit to the, to the liveliness of the world. And they would say things like, Ich bin ein Pracht, nicht. Which is, you know, like, translates to, I'm a gorgeous girl, am I not? Like, with this really terrible accent, it just makes you laugh every time. And they did change some of that in a later patch. Um, they they unsectonified, I think, some of the voices because it was a huge hit in Germany. Uh, it was, it, I think it went straight to number one charts in Germany for PC games when it came out. It was sold out for a while. I think I remember it was hard to find copies of Baldur's Gate. So I guess there was enough demand there that they said, okay, maybe we're going to make you know our game a little bit less 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 unintentionally ridiculous because of this terrible accent. But that was at the time. Yeah, I remember like first thing that with my brother, we looked at each other and we're like, the fuck did she just say? Um, yeah, but yeah, fun little anecdotes. But yeah, you know, despite all of this, despite all these challenges, despite all these adverse conditions we just uh, talked about, uh, Baldur's Gate did eventually come out. Uh, December 21st, 1998, and um, it was right out of door a huge hit. Um, I just mentioned that it was number one in Germany. Um, I think, Basti, you wrote down some more overall numbers. I think like the like I was not able to find the expectations from Interplay, but I think... Bioware, they, they themselves said we would be very, very happy if we reach uh, 200k in the first quarter. And, and I think uh, Interplay's, uh, Interplay's uh, expectations were even lower than Bioware's. Like yeah, they yeah, really exactly. didn't expect too much from this. Exactly. So this was like they were aiming high, but they managed to get like 500k. And I think in the span of two years, they managed to get like 1.5 million, which was at the time, keep in mind at the time, a huge number, especially for a niche game. Or a niche genre. Right? It was not like a, your your uh, annual big FIFA thing or something. Yeah, um, still, that's still it, it really, really good. Yeah, especially at the time, you know. I mean, you, you really you have to t- take into time into consideration that this was many years ago when gaming was much much smaller. Because these days, you know, some some people try not to realize it because i think you actively have to try not to realize it at this point but gaming these days is just a mainstream form of entertainment right. um back then it was still really a niche thing so these are like hugely successful numbers like you know um this was not a time when when a lot of games sold 1 million copies so you know just just having like half a million so quickly is a huge hit mm-hmm. um the, the first print run was was gone almost instantly so yeah as i mentioned like it was hard to find copies for a while because they you know they they had to struggle to produce more games and uh it, it was of course it got a huge critical acclaim as well i funnily enough i didn't write it down i think let me see what what the the metacritic score was at the time and of course you know, metacritic for this time is also a yeah, little like bit his, sketchy historical metacritic's a little a little wobbly too yeah yeah, it, it's it's a bit it's a bit wild compared to these days, but um, fair to say it it was hugely successful, uh, a huge hit with critics as well. If only I could get this link to work. Hmm, let's see. Now, where where does it sit? Uh, sits at ninety one still to this day. Um, ninety four percent from PC Gamer, of course, which you know is, is still I think one of the canonical magazines when it comes to. Um, uh, when it comes to PC gaming and reviewing them. So yeah, um, across the board, critical success, huge sales success, mega popular with fans. So um, 
yeah, I think that that really sums up. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, it, how, it's how got we a got, legacy got for a reason, here. Yeah. So yeah, uh, but yeah, not, yeah, we should actually now talk about the reasons. You know, what 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 is it about Baldur's Gate that made it such a hit? And um, uh, um, so far, we've just assumed that hopefully any listeners are kind of familiar with Baldur's Gate. If not, what is wrong with you? But you know, we're still in the interest of of science. Is it science education? Let's say education, maybe. Yes, but also science. Professor Hatsum. Um, Professor Hatsum is here to tell you about Baldur's Gate. And as as all great scientists and educators, Professor Hatsum is about to quote from Wikipedia. Um, which describes Baldur's Gate as a fantasy role-playing video game developed by Bioware. So far, so good. We covered that. And published in 1998 by Interplay Entertainment. It is the first game in the Baldur's Gate series and takes place in Forgotten Realms, a high fantasy campaign setting using a modified version of the advanced Dungeons & Dragons AD&D 2nd Edition rules, uh, which we're going to talk about later because these rules, um, even by pen and paper standards, they were pretty, how do you say, clunky. Or no. at least, let's say non-intuitive and non very welcoming to players like there's some really wacky yeah. stuff in there as an educator it is your job to illustrate past clunky okay i'll try to to move on beyond clunky um, the game story focuses on players controlling a protagonist of their own creation who finds themselves traveling across the sword coast alongside a party of companions to unravel the mystery surrounding a sudden iron crisis affecting the region and attempting to discover the culprits behind it while uncovering dark secrets about their origins and dealings with attempts on their life. Um, yeah, really, uh, to, to, to sum it up a little bit, in my own words... You know, because that makes it so much more educational than Wikipedia. Because any you know any old weirdo could quote Wikipedia. Um, what you do when you start playing Baldur's Gate is first you create a character, a single character uh, that is based on the back then you know up to date newest um, second edition of AD and D rules. Um, again, they are pretty complex and unwieldy. Uh, you know, you had you had weird stuff like the oh shit, what's what's the ATV null? called in english uh, the, the re- required role to hit armor class zero or something Thak, taco taco yeah yeah yeah, yeah uh, to hit armor class zero because that's um, the, the taco is reco sentence right well yeah something like that so yeah like these days where you know, am it's, i straightforward like these days in <laughs> D&D, it's, you roll 1d20 you add some modifiers or, or malices and then you have to be above a certain number and then you hit your target. You know, that's fairly easy to grasp. Back then it had this weird thing where like the lower your armor class, the better because of this weirdness of, you know, trying to hit armor class zero as the baseline. And let's just say it was not very intuitive. It was a very good thing that back then games still had manuals. Uh, Baldur's Gate not only had, uh, you know, a, a manual introducing the video game and everything, but also I think like... 60, 70 page manual that gave you the basics of the D&D rules. God, that's and like, that is so and cool. Classes. That is so cool. So, um, I mi- I miss that. That is I was thinking about that the other day like I I, I miss uh instruction booklets. I know it's probably wasteful nowadays to think about that stuff, but but yeah, just like I I I remember older games having those big just chunky books. That shit I loved that shit. Oh yeah. It was very good because, yeah, I, I was completely non-familiar with the D&D rules. Again, there's a lot of stuff in, stuff in there that I think is 
is not intuitive because yeah again like i think uh, what they did with dnd third fourth and fifth now edition um it's fairly straightforward people can appreciate you know the higher the higher you roll the higher the numbers the better the higher your chance of success here having this weird thing of like having zero armor class is super good and having armor class 10 means you're dead meat uh, it's kind of weird but um yeah see like i think it speaks to Baldur's gate that despite all this wackiness they made a great game Mm-hmm. That's, that's so really, yeah, I have no idea how, how modern D and D rule sets are because I haven't played D and D for a while. But there was also this situation that if you were a thief or a light armor class or a dodgy class, or whatever, you could basically have the same rule applied to you as you would uh, run around with a big uh, plate armor. Oh no, which is I'm... even more confusing. It keeps it keeps getting out of my element. Uh, modern D and D is honestly. It's super easy. Everything is based on a single D20 roll for all skills or whatever. Um, you just add some modifiers to that that are fairly simple, I like to think. So, um, yeah, I've, I've introduced uh, D- modern D&D rules to several players who had never played something like that before, and all of them more or less grasped it. So either I'm a fantastic educator or it's not that complicated. Your choice. You pick. What is a D20? It's a uh, uh, a twenty, yeah, a, a twenty-sided die. Have you? You don't, have, you don't have to be mean about it, guys. I don't. You don't. You don't need to tell Richard, me to die, Richard. I we like as soon as the pandemic is over, or we even play. Uh, we could play an online session via a wonderful tool called Roll Twenty mm-hmm. because of the twenty-sided die. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should introduce you to that kind of like stuff. I think uh, it actually works pretty well these days. Like we we've been playing during the pandemic some some remote yeah, D&D. Same. I think uh tentative answer I'd rather 20 sided die. But please continue. If you want to be fancy Richard, um mm-hmm. the the technical like the correct scientific term uh, would be an icosahedron. So any, anyway, because it's it's see it's a 20 sided uh, polyhedron. Yeah. So it's an Ecosahedron. Like I think you're up to date on your old Greek. I'm pretty sure Ecosahedron is a summon in one of the Final Fantasy games. That's also entirely possible. Yes, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past them. And it's, a, it's a three-minute, a three-minute cinematic every time you summon them. That's fair. You know, like just like trying to figure out if you hit somebody with a D&D second edition rules also took twenty minutes. You know, so this is this was a big deal, and like I, I read, I read anecdotally that this was like the kind of thing where you could really run into walls where, like, hey, if you don't have a plus two knife, like you're just not going to hit this person. Yeah, like, yeah, you're, just, you're, 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 you're fucking done. Create scenarios where it's impossible to. Yeah, to be honest, that was usually the driving goal, even in the in the, in the PC games, to to get to a point where it's almost impossible to die and coming from a point perfect hero's journey at the beginning where one bite of a wolf will kill your character yeah yeah i, I replayed um baldur's gate on the switch mm-hmm. um uh, late 2019 early 2020 uh played a little bit of baldur's gate 2 on switch and it, it really is more remarkable how different game design back then was in terms of like the game having zero qualms about you know giving you the ability to fuck yourself over into a corner <laughs> like I mean, in, in Baldur's Gate right that's game freedom in, in Baldur's Gate 2 there is actually kind of fairly early on considering how you know you can go there fairly early on because you have a lot of freedom there is a castle that's overrun by trolls and boy if you don't have if you don't have 
some magic weapons that can do fire damage or ideally a lot of fire arrows no chance you just cannot kill those trolls they will come back over and over again so yeah like there's a lot of opportunity to to screw yourself over they had no issues with that but uh, still i have to say like and maybe again that, that speaks to the quality of of the design it never really felt unfair to me and like for me this was the first time playing an rpg um there were some times where it was okay like this is tough i better come back later there was also no stuff like level gating or so so it's absolutely possible that you that you stumble into somebody who just kills into hits and you're like i think the game is trying to tell me i should come back later here um yeah yeah, it, it worked so yeah um you create that one character and then you start a game um in the library fortress of candlekeep which is on the sword coast um it's the western coast of Ferun, which is the name of the forgotten realm setting i think um you know for people who are not familiar with dnd maybe you've heard about Ferun and forgotten realms from from games like Baldur's gate <laughs> maybe you've heard about it from the hugely successful um novels about Drizzdo Erden from uh, uh, R.A. Salvatore. But yeah, um, you you start the game in Candlekeep. You are a, a orphan. Oh, I should have said, there's going to be some spoilers here now, but honestly, that game is pretty old, so bear with us. You know, if what? if you haven't played it, um, then just accept that there's going to be some smaller, not huge, but some smaller spoilers in the pursuit of science and education. Do you guys want me to fast-forward myself for a couple minutes to avoid spoilers? Um, I don't know what that means, but I'm all, already terrified, so please keep it safe for work. Got it. So you're you're um, you're an orphan. You're an orphan. You grow up in Candlekeep, which is like this library fortress uh, where monks live. You know, it's 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 a fortress, but still also it's a place of learning. There's these monks. One of these monks and scholars is your foster father, Gorion, who who lives there. You know, he's a very well regarded uh, part of of that community, and he's also a member of the Harpers. Uh, the Harpers are a semi-secret. A society that you know tries to do good and fight for good in in the realms. So it's you know it's it's the it's the opposite of your usual. I mean I guess maybe it's kind of like the the order of assassins and assassin creeds to, you know, for a more modern equivalent that maybe more of our listeners are familiar with. So yeah, you know it's it's an evil sorry it's a secret society that is not evil for once. You know they're not trying to. You know, it's actually they are in fact you know trying to fight various different evil organizations. Um, then, uh, yeah, uh, what happens is on your first day, you, you just wander around a little bit uh, around Candlekeep, you do various tasks for, um, people around the, 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 the castle that, you know, you've, you've met, of course, previously, you know, they know you because you grew up here and then you're summoned by your foster father, Gorion, who has received a letter that has clearly very much upset and scared him. Uh, and you leave that very day immediately after he says you have to go to the friendly arms inn which is another like fortress inn like a, a fortified inn and you know a way rest that you should go to and um to meet some of his harper friends there and then on the very first night of your journey just outside candlekeep you are ambushed uh, your foster father grind is killed this is by the way all the introduction of the game so you know there's no no big spoilers here and you are uh, in classic RPG and fantasy manner. Uh, you are left alone in the world, and uh, you just have this vague mission of you have to reach your friendly in arms in. Uh, you have to meet his friends uh, Khalid and Jahira, 
and that's where the game leaves you alone. That's all the instructions you have. Find the friendly arm in. Um, from that on, you can really wander up and down the sword coast however you see fits. Uh, as I previously mentioned, in some cases, good luck on you if you wander into the same into, into the wrong villains or people because they will kick your ass. But yeah, and I think, of course, no, it has absolutely be acknowledged that it's a fairly cliched setup. You know, you are an orphan with a mysterious past, something tragic happens, and now you're free to wander the world. But I think it really did a great job of um, slowly introducing players to the Forgotten Realms setting. Uh, there's, of course, you know, a, a rich history there for people who are already familiar from the pen and paper game, from novels, whatever. But like, if you were new, like I was, I think it did a good job of slowly easing you into that world. Um, slowly, yeah. Then, then you become first. Your your first, uh, you know, objective is to find Khalid and Jahira. Once you're there, you slowly learn more about what's happening in the world. There's a an iron crisis on the Sword Coast because, like, there's a small mining town called Nashkel in the south. Um, all of the ore that is being mined there is suddenly super weak and fragile. So any armor weapons created from it are bound to fall apart and break. Then there's rumors about war with a southern neighbor. So like slowly um, the plot really opens up to become like a more elaborate political thing. Uh, yeah, man, I think it, it's it's a very good setup. Again, as I mentioned, I had been completely unfamiliar with all of this before and I never felt lost or overwhelmed. It was like, okay, this, this all makes sense. The way I'm introduced to this, the way I'm introduced to different characters. Um, also, what is a notable difference from later Bioware games is that um, there is no set order really in which you find the companions um, because you can have uh, there's a, to a maximum party size of six people you create one character so you can have five more companions that you find out in the world um, yes the game encourages you like you have to at some point meet Khalid and Jahira and there's some other characters that you meet along the way for example uh, including your first companion called Imoen which is uh, a girl that grew up with you in Candlekeep as well and she she follows you in Gorion because you know she wants to see big adventures and obviously you're going on a big adventure um, she didn't know that the big adventure means that Gorion is going to get killed in the first hour of the game but otherwise um, there's a ton of characters there's way more than you can have in your party at one time and uh, I have to say like even after several playthroughs like playing the game many times starting over many times I still learned later hey there's this other character I've never met because you know they, they can find them all over the map in inns sometimes you find them in like smaller random events that are entirely missable so I think that also really contributed you know, to, to this feeling of like hey this is a living world and there's a ton for me to explore because I never know, you know, uh, if if I go to this map, maybe there's a character fighting against some people, and if I help them, and um, they offer to join my party or not. There was also a lot of interactions, um, because uh, it's become a cliche, of course, in social media with like a, a lot of different personality tests or so. That D and D had this fairly rigid alignment system, right? All the way from lawful good, which is the goodiest two shows, which I had to be if I want to be a paladin, all the way down to chaotic evil, which is like I kill babies, you know, for fun before lunchtime, and and you can recruit anybody really into your party, but there can be a lot of discussions and fights can break out. Like suddenly it can happen that if you have you know people who are at completely opposed alignments in your party, they may start trying to kill each other because you know they will not stand fighting alongside Captain Goody McTwoshoes or they don't want to fight against like an evil monster. And it's like really like it sounds like it really makes the open world that is what makes your open world feel open, right? Yeah. It's like getting stuff in different orders, having the those things interact with each other. Um 
And that's relatively early for games to be doing stuff like that, right? Like that's I that seems that yeah. seems super cool. To be honest, definitely. I like I played a lot of the Wizardry games, etc. A lot of uh, even back then on my Amiga, and I cannot recall a single game which had such intricate mechanics, which went even that far that not only different characters could not stand each other. You had situations where you had uh, couples, aka friends, frenemies, or wife and husband, and if you, because permadeath, would lose one of them or kick one out of the group, they would comment that and would react to that, which was super intriguing by the time. Yeah, Yeah, it could be a puzzle at times. Like It could be, hey, I want to have character A in my party, not really character B, but because they have decided like they have this life bond or something, I have to have both of them in my party or the other would leave as well. Unless maybe, you know, if character A dies, then character B may still stay with you in your party. So like, you know, there, there was a lot of um, a lot of uh, stuff going on there. That was pretty elaborate. And also, again, like going back, you know, uh, to being a bit ruthless. Um, because, of course, you know, like before recruiting somebody, they wouldn't tell you, hey, this is my alignment. If you have guys, if, if this other guy is the wrong alignment, I'm going to try to stab him. It could just happen suddenly. And you're like, oh, wow, um, two of my people just try to kill each other. I'm out in the wilderness. That's great. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what, a, what a, that's great what a, what an amazing uh, turn of events pretty much yeah so um but i think really so like that is all cool but i think really the revolutionary gameplay thing about Baldur's gate of course um was the combat system because up to then as we mentioned uh, rpgs were always turn-based which makes sense because of course pc rpgs were adapted from pen and paper rpgs which are you know have a turn-based structure of like this is your turn you can move you can attack everybody else gets to do and then the next turn starts Baldur's Gate, while still maintaining a you know the turn structure underneath to make the D&D rules work, it was a real-time game, which of course was perfect because, as I mentioned earlier, this was the time when real-time strategy was the biggest genre on PC, thanks to games like Command and Conquer, um, Age of Empires, Warcraft, soon afterwards Starcraft. No, actually, Starcraft was out by the time um, Baldur's Gate came out. Sorry. Um, so really, I think the the, the genius here was that. Bioware kind of tricked non-RPG players into trying an RPG like it happened in my case. I'd never played an RPG before. Real-time strategy was my favorite genre. I played almost exclusively real-time strategy games, but I loved fantasy. I saw some previews of this game in GameStar, a German PC magazine that I read at the time. It was like, okay, this this looks like graphically with the isometric review. It looks like a real-time strategy game. It seems to control like a real-time strategy game. It's real-time combat. I love fantasy. Man, this game looks great. And I think really that is, is the genius of, of, of Baldur's Gate and what Bioware did there, that they managed to trick a whole new audience into playing an RPG because their game looked and played ostensibly like a real-time strategy game, which was hugely popular at the time. And I think Bioware later repeated the same trick with, with Mass Effect, where yeah. they tricked a whole new audience into playing a story character driven rpg because it played and looked like a shooter a third person shooter mm-hmm. i agree and, it, it, um, it definitely it speaks of of the power of refinement on some of these things absolutely i mean you know it, it had stuff like um 
drag selecting your party. Like, hey, I want to select these three guys, my archers yeah. to stand in the back. So I just, you know, drag a box with the mouse. Like in a real-time strategy game, um, I position him there. I just click on enemies. You know, there's always a default action for my cursor. It wasn't a case of like with some of older RPGs, like I want to talk to this person. Okay, I'm now going to select the talk button in my huge interface and I'm going to click on a person. It was like, this is a friendly NPC. I just right-click on them. Uh, sorry, I left-click on them with the mouse because talking to them, you know, conversation is the default icon that's selected, the default action for this character. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that was really, the, is really the genius of it that in addition to everything else, story characters, what have you, uh, it was just compared, again, to the clunky games of yesteryear. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, it the, just was a very smooth game to play for an RPG. It just right. played like the, the most popular PC genre of its time, uh, real-time strategy games. As as Busty mentioned, like with all the tech advancement, it looked fantastic. So you know, it, it's really you have a winning formula there. It's it's a big game, um, you know, very meaty to dig into. Um, it looks great. It plays great. It plays smoothly. It's not overwhelming. Um, the rules can be, as I mentioned, but then you know you still you always have your sixty-page manual to dig into before going to bed. Which is I mean, what even I then, like, like, like the thing is, like it, it really is saying something about um, how how to make those those sort of games and experiences a little a little bit better from what they're doing. Because I mean, like it, it was always seen as okay. I really love the idea of the freedom and uh, kind of emergent stories in these games, but there is a lot in my way to get there. Like I have to learn a lot. I have to invest a lot of time. There's a lot of turnoffs and hard walls and stuff like that. So, I mean, it almost seemed like these guys were really focused on just kind of digging the, the good parts out of that, you know, the experience and interacting with characters and stuff. And they were like, all right, like, do we really need, you know, three clicks to get here, two clicks to get here. And today that is something, you know, that, that is that is UX, right? Like that is that is something that is so important to any video game process. It's it's really neat to kind of see where like the roots of that in, in some in some genres. Like it's really neat to see where they were like, all right, guys, look, we know we have a cool game, but how can we get people to just be able to play it? Like you can still keep your Dungeons and Dragons madness, but like technically, let's make it easier to just interact with the video game. And like, like, like I said, I think today that's something that is much more heavily con uh, considered thanks to uh, successful games like this, you know? Yeah, I think what is really impressive there is all this refinement and like clever design. Again, considering that this was a first-time project for most of the people working on them, though, in fact, like many of them credit that. They say, you know, um, just the fact that we had never done this before, we came at this, you know, maybe super naively and um, really help them because you know when when you do something for the first time you do not have this this concept maybe of this is how it's always been done we must do it like this instead they did like hey i guess this is what we're going to do now we're going to try this and um clearly that worked very much in their favor here and you know, talking about the combat and like how it, how the accessibility really helped to trick and lure people into playing an rpg even if they perhaps before weren't rpg players um as now a, a long-time Bioware fan, there's just one thing that I always found hilarious because it feels to me that history just keeps repeating itself over and over again. Um, because when Baldur's Gate came out, there were people who said, you know, um, it's, you know, it's dumping down. It's, it's too casual because it's this real time with pause thing. It's uh, how can you even play proper, like plan properly like that? It's not as in-depth and, and tactical and clever 
as as turn based. So you know, like already then people were like, um, this is a bit too casual, you know. But okay, it's too actiony, but whatever. Do your do your you know RPG thing for dummies. And then of course, um, you had you had the next wave of Bioware games. Of course, you had you had Jade Empire, which is a a kung fu martial arts uh, RPG. So of course the people were up in arms again, like, oh, this is way too, you know, this is this is not like Baldur's Gates. This is um like like an action game now. What is this? This is not an RPG. And then the same thing would again happen with Mass Effect, where like people when Mass Effect came out, you know, people who played Kotor and everything, the Knights of the probably were like, oh, it's not. Where's like the proper pause? You know, this is not an RPG. This is like an action game. They put some stats into, and then <laughs> later on when Anthem came out, people were like. You know, this has nothing to do with, with anything anymore. So, like for me, it's super funny to see history repeating, and like every generation of Bioware fans seemingly, um, you know, being up in arms that the new generation of games is more actiony or is not like a proper game anymore, and not realizing that they sound exactly like their predecessors. You know, one game generation before, from from turn-based to Baldur's Gate, from Baldur's Gate to Jade Empire, and Knights of the Republic, and all of that, from that to to Mass Effect. A super funny thing to me like whenever i see these things like oh now it's not a real RPG anymore i just think you sound exactly like the people 10 years ago it is it is really an ongoing cycle of of people doing that oh they're dumbing it down for the casuals they're dumbing it down for the casuals um some i i, I think very rarely that that uh that kind of argument holds water but a lot of times you know they're they're doing kind of quality of life changes that end up making Things just get to, like, how, do you, how do you say it? it? Like dust it off so you can get to the stuff that's actually good. Like I'm a I'm a pretty big Mass Effect one fan. Like I love the way they did a lot of that stuff. But like when two came out, you know, the first five minutes, I'm like, oh god, it's just a third person shooter. But it just you know kind of dusted the stuff off again where it wasn't like, oh, like builds are viable or like this this kind of works. And I can just kind of get to the fun, you know, being a dude in space thing. And I think there's a lot of, from what I've seen, you know, there's a lot of crust on. Uh, on those 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 older games that could really you know just benefit from getting to the point, which was having a cool game in a D and D setting and uh, making that um, like I I think they treat accessibility like it's a swear word, you know. Absolutely, I think that that is really the problem. Also with you know with with that whole tabletop gaming community, be it RPGs, be it you know stuff like Warhammer or so. Um, there is always of course like this 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 insularity tribal thinking of I don't want new people to come in and enjoy the thing that I've you know I've got beaten up in school for playing Warhammer I don't want the cool kids to play Warhammer or (laughs) D&D whatever have you now and then there's also this uh, I think like for for some of these communities there's almost like a a fetishization how how do you say that I think you you got it yeah I'm not going to say it because I don't know uh, oh yeah, like you know, like like people making yeah. a fetish out of limitations, and you know, uh, sorry, Richard, mm-hmm. clunkiness. No, be, being great, like you know, uh, how how does it make, for example, for a better game to say okay in in AD and D, so like the rule set that was used for Baldur's Gate, like there were super strict limitations on what weapons which class can use or which armor a class can use and now in in dnd5 for example so the thing that is that Baldur's gate 3 is using um you just have a ton more freedom you know it's like okay maybe you know if if you want to do this thing as as a rogue or as a mage you want to run around in heavy armor or something you know 
there's there's going to be things where it's not going to be as efficient for you as for a warrior or a paladin and maybe there's going to be limitations because you're not going to be super sneaky and stealthy in in um you know in, in plate armor or something like that but if you want to do that stuff Sure, and I think you know that makes actually for more interesting role building and character freedom than saying no. The rules say you sure. cannot wear this thing, sure. um, which is weird to me. Like that, sometimes people you know, like they take they take like actually you know rules and and complexity putting restrictions on you as a as a great thing. That's weird to me. There is also also a factor a lot of people don't know, um, especially when it comes to old AT and T or D and D rules, um, where. Dungeons and Dragons is coming from, especially with the old rule set, is um, tabletop gaming. So it was basically a rule set which was 100% applied on on miniatures to play it on a board or whatever, and having the the RP um, acting component tied into that. So the people who made D and D came from war gamings and tabletop gamings, and then said, "Hey, role playing is cool because we like choose your own adventure books, etc." And combined that. But the old rule set and why there's a lot of like restrictions and weird, quirky rules, etc., is it is completely coming from a point where you play on a hex map. Um, a lot of the, especially the old rules, have even like movement sections, etc., which which come from miniature gameplay. And a lot of the limitations come from balancing aspects from right. wargaming roots. Right. So this is not even something which is applicable to role-playing games in general. And nowadays, even like in the 90s, not many role-playing games had this kind of like framework when it comes to rules and, and free and especially building your character in a free way is something uh, which 90% of all modern role-playing games have in common and I'm talking about tabletop uh, role-playing games not, not video games so sure. what I like about that is um, how gamers often use phrases or conceptions which in their roots come from something completely different and doesn't always mean role-playing or uh, the, the fact of what, what makes a role-playing game a role-playing game. Usually the freedom of choice to have an impact on the story, but also on your character development, which does not mean working in a very strict framework of limitations. I mean, I think like to play devil's advocate, there's definitely a way to do this wrong, and that's where a lot of that fear comes from. Um, like, like I mean... Or- yeah, follow. Yeah, follow four. I mean, exactly, exactly that. Exactly that. Thou shalt not be smirched, Lord. Taught on this podcast. I'm just saying. Look, if I said Fallout Four is a bad game, and you were locked into the constraints of the Fallout Four uh, dialogue system, you'd eventually have to agree with me anyway. But um, but no, I mean, like, like I get it. Like, uh, like on the other hand, I am what uh, the internet refers to as a moro boomer. Um. But I can't, I can't go back and play fucking Morrowind again. I can't do dice rolls on on swings. So I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I feel like they've improved on. But you know, you lose something in that. You lose the uh, the ability to to kind of craft a ring that casts levitation on somebody, and then you reverse pickpocket that onto somebody you hate, and they levitate ten stories up and then fall to their death. Like you lose some of that. Um, I believe they they the term they use was like opportunity space. Um, and that's where I think a lot of that fear comes from. Is like when they're dumbing it down it's like i might lose the super dumb stuff um but i might lose the 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 quirky cool stuff so it really is a design challenge that i think um should be celebrated more and maybe that's something that we should we should be really um clapping uh baldur's gate for is like if they were able to scrape off the 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 tough stuff and leave the the like you said the i'm playing a role in a role-playing game i am uh 
I am able to to get to being a cool person in this in this world, and I'm affecting the story easier than that's to be celebrated. You know, I think like a very good example for this is uh, Dragon Age Inquisition. Like yeah. we got rid of the, a lot of the old legacy stuff we still seen in Dragon Age Origins, but uh, it still gave you a lot of freedom how to develop your character, to create certain builds, where you have the feeling that, yes, I have an impact on how my character behaves in the rule set and in combat, etc., while streamlining a lot of stuff, making it a modern game. So I think... Oh, you were um, using Inquisition as a positive example. Yeah, yeah, as a positive example. Absolutely. Oh, I like, no. I like the, the uh, 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 combat mechanics and all the stuff in Inquisition. No? That was super what was bad. Your issue with the I, Inquisition? I had many issues with Inquisition. Um, uh, chief among them being the amount of ridiculous sass placed into every character. To me, to me, that was like that was that was really one of the. I, I would use that as a negative example. Like that is something where they were like, "Shit, Mass Effect is super popular. We need to kind of move in no, that we're, direction." We're talking about me- mechanics. I, I how you build say, your character. Think, I don't and, think you can disagree with Busty's Busty's point here. Like, you know, I, like yeah. you're talking about different things. No, I'm, I'm not I, sure. I, I like, agree Bust, I agree with Busty that that for for like Inquisition or so, like you know that the. There's still like a, a lot of like opportunity, like yeah. in how you want to play. Yeah, it's it's of course it's more actiony combat again. Right. But I still think there there's a lot of freedom how you want to build your character. Like you know the how the characters are portrayed. Or I mean, for example, I right. love Inquisition. It was my game of the year when it came out. But there's a lot of misgivings. For example, I have about the the filler content in the world. Like like some of it feeling like almost you know like like an MMO without other people. Absolutely. But talking about characters, I know maybe we can we can take the swing back here, look like the sword swing, and let me roll a d20 real quick to see if I hit against <laughs> armor class. What's your armor class, Richard? This is thick. Six. Is that good? Well, zero is well, it's it's below average. Fuck. Which that seems that seems fitting. <laughs> you're not wearing you're not wearing any armor right now. You're probably wearing like a lumberjack shirt or something. You're awfully sassy. What are you, some kind of Dragon Age Inquisition character? Uh, I, I would be a rogue naturally, yes. but a good natured rogue. A good. I have to say, like the heart of know, gold. I have to. I have to say, like you know, across like uh, taking everybody on board, like Inquisition is probably one of my least favorite Bioware games for NPCs, but I absolutely love Dorian. Like Dorian is is one of the oh, and I'm using dope. this word intentionally one of the most fabulous characters He's Bioware has treasure. ever had. Yeah, Dorian's pretty. Dorian's dope. fantastic. Dor- Dorian's probably yeah. like the the bright spot. Now, yeah, I don't I don't want to derail. I'm with you. But yeah, uh, you know, another tradition uh, like the, that that uh, Bioware tradition at Baldur's Gate already started, of course, is uh, memorable NPCs. Um, because you know it's it's something they have a reputation for these days. If you ask people what are your favorites. NPCs of all time in video games, there's a high chance that you know somebody from Mass Effect may come up. Uh, somebody from from a Dragon Age game came up, uh, may come up, uh, of course, you know, from Knights of the Old Republic, HK47, or Bastila. So there's there's a lot of very beloved NPCs or like you know party members in Bioware games, and I think that tradition already started as well with um, with Baldur's Gate. Uh, the, the very first character you meet, Imoen, um, she is. You know, initially she just seems like, yeah, it's, she's this girl I grew up with. She's kind of nice. Um, and of course, as you play both of these games, there's a lot more to her character that makes her really an interesting character. Also, the changes she, she goes through as the story unfolds. Um, there is Khalid and Jahira, which are a, a fantastic uh, couple. In um, Khalid is a warrior. Jahira is his wife. She's a druid. Um, it's very, very obvious, you know, who's who's in charge in that relationship, in that marriage. And it's not Khalid. 
Um, he's a nice guy. He's a total sweetheart. He's super stuttery and insecure. And Jahira is absolutely the boss. Um, <clears throat> is, you he, have, is he a DJ? He is not a DJ, unfortunately. Okay. All right. I had something else pictured in my head. He he is a warrior. So, but, I mean, like, like um, stack this up, like, because I have not played... Um, a lot of Baldur's Gate, and I have played a lot of other Bioware stuff, and I do agree that they, they even if even if we um, may disagree on a few, they are, they are memorable. Really good characters that people gush over and, and absolutely make an impact in that. Like, how does it stack up for the rest of the stuff, for the rest of what Bioware's done? Is, is it something they've gotten better at, or um, I think you know one of the one of the limitations here is, or it, why why they don't stack up as well? Maybe it's just of course the technical limitations. Yeah, like in in Baldur's Gate, the, the only way you see characters is a two D portrait of them, and there's some great art there, and a you know however many pixels were used for those character models. But you know, like there's no cutscenes; you never see the characters up close. And the only the only way you see their faces is so is like is like one static piece of two D art, for example, right? So I I feel like based on those limitations, they cannot quite stack up with you know like a more fleshed out character like. Uh, Liara, right, or right. Morden or so. Um, but, but I, mean, I think you know for, yeah, okay. for like the time or so, like with the writing, um, already the voice acting. I think you know the, the, there's some really good characters here. I, I was gonna have a few more examples because, like you know, so far it's like the the tamer ones. Sure, I, I know. Tell Baldur's me about it because, like, I, started, I yeah. you know the like the, the tradition of having like you know some some characters that are a bit more out there in your party. Mm-hmm. And again, like here with Baldur's Gate, there were absolutely no limitations. You know, it was just adhering to the to the um uh the, the alignment system from from uh, from dnd so you could play a evil party you can play a good party you can have a wild mix and again like as i mentioned before uh, if you have like some super goody two shows and you know dr doom himself in your party at a certain point they're going to try to kill each other and there's nothing you can do about that um so for example one really cool character is is edwin uh Odysseron. he is a red wizard of thai so he's the counterpart to to Khalid and Jahir and everybody who are from a good guy organization. Because the Red Wizards of Thai, they are essentially there's two things we love in this world, and one is um undead liches, like you know undead evil mages. As love our me, leaders. love me some and undead evil mages. We want to conquer the world. Yes. So yeah, so that is you know that is that is what he's all about. So essentially, you can if you want to um by following the story, you can try to you know save the world from evil. But also, like, you can have a guy in your party who's like, totally, man, we should stop that guy who's trying to take over the world. So afterwards, I can take over the world. Uh, great guy. Uh, there is a, a fan favorite that I would assume, like, you know, maybe not as much back then. If she came out these days, you would, I must assume, inspire a lot of fan fiction and cosplay. Not all of it's safe for work. Um, that is Viconia Devere. She's a um, member of the generally evil Drow race. Uh, so, like, you know, much beloved um, fan favorites, um, Mary Sue personified novel character of the best selling adventures of Drizzt D'Urden. So, again, like, here a character, like, you know, from a. And, and to this day, still, but back then, especially, DD was, like, super rigid about their. about these things. It's like. Um, Okay, Drist is an ex- is, is an exception, but otherwise every single person from this race is evil because that's what they do. They're just the evil elves. Yeah. So again, here like you have a character, you know, that um is also tricky in the sense of like, you know, if if you are if everybody knows that the the black elves are the evil ones and like 
they try to kill humans and you walk around with her through human cities. So, so there's some very interesting interactions there. I think actually the first time you meet her, you save her from being burnt at the stake by people who are like, holy shit, she's an evil witch and let's burn her. So like and one of the things I just want to point out immediately is that if you guys haven't played Baldur's Gate and you're curious about that character, you're going to want to go ahead and search her with a safe search on. Um, have you done that just I, now? I have done that just now. I wanted to see, like, if you're like, hey, if, if, if this is cosplay, so I actually wanted to see if there was cosplay for it. Um, let's just say that there is there's a lot of deviant art. I've, I've been exposed to more deviant art than I would have preferred to today. I see. Hey, it's good. So see, even back then, you know, people people <laughs> got excited about that. <laughs> Very excited about that. Uh, you know, I, I I learned about this because you know I I assumed you know as I just talked about it's just static to the it's like tiny pixel characters. You know, there's only so much people can do with this, right? And um, last year, for a very good friend who also happens to be our current, uh, you know. Uh, game master for our online D&D campaign. We're like, hey, for his birthday we're going to gift him a coupon for Baldur's Gate 3 Early Access on Steam because it's going to come out like two weeks or so after his birthday. And a very resourceful and creative friend of mine was like, we need to, you know, spice up this coupon. And that was the day I learned that there is super um, graphic, super hardcore um, pornographic um, Baldur's Gate fan art out there. You 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 found out about Rule Thirty Four in the most enduring way. I didn't assume that there would be a Rule Thirty Four for something that is so so old. And again, you're like tiny pixel characters. Maybe maybe I was just being naive here. I'll I'll give you that. Maybe no. I mean, I again, seen it coming. Not to derail, but uh, the first time I learned about Rule Thirty Four, it was a uh, picture of my current MP3 player, and it was like it was obscure. Like it wasn't like an iPod. So I was like. I I just looked it up and I was like, what in the fuck is going on here? So yes, there really is. It is of everything. These people need to be stopped. <laughs> um, but yeah, and of course there is like a character that cannot be overstated for me. He's one of my favorite uh, yeah. you know, um, gaming characters or like, yeah, duo of gaming characters. That is Minsk and Boo. Mm-hmm. Um, Minsk is a super good-hearted, like the nicest, sweetest guy you can imagine. You just want to cuddle him. Super strong ranger uh, who fights for good. He has been hit in the head many times over his adventures, and probably the last hit was one hit too many. Um, and that has resulted in him traveling around with Boo. Boo is a hamster that he is. He is like he constantly takes up a spot in Minsk's inventory. Like just one slot, you cannot take him away if you want. If you want to touch him, like he's like no. Don't touch Boo. So he's just permanently stuck in his inventory. And uh, Minsk awesome. is convinced <laughs> and tells everybody that Boo is the only miniature giant space hamster on the entire Sword Coast, possibly in all of Faerun. Right, yes. Um, there is no indication ever that this is the case, but there's also no indication that it's not true. So it's up to your own imagination if he is. And um, there's only two things that Minsk really cares about in the world. One is Boo, of course. Because he's his companion, he constantly talks to him, and like he also replies to him as if Boo talks to him, tells him stuff. And the other thing is that he uh, he loves uh, kicking evil's ass, and he <laughs> will constantly tell you that that you know like evil needs to be kicked in the ass. I mean, like it, it's it's weird because like on paper he sounds like he could be he could be annoying if written poorly. Like he could be like de- uh, like Bloodpool cosplay, Deadpool cosplay Absolutely, yeah. level of annoying. But I mean, the way the way that I've heard you talk about them, like a reverence, seems like they really walked the the tightrope on this one. And like, um, 
delivered a character that was that was pretty pretty good considering i mean it's like hey he got hit on the head and he's got a space hamster what he fights and kicks evils out like you know what i'm saying like like just on paper it sounds like that could that could have gone poorly i, I think what what, ex, what especially works with him besides really great voice acting and, and writing is the like while there is always a little bit humor in the characters and conversations and stuff um I think he breaks up the seriousness of a lot of characters and you don't have a situation where you have the comedic relief, a lot of comedic relief characters. Maybe Xarn uh, was for me always, and Montron was always very funny. Oh, yeah. But he is this kind of like oddball, this one oddball out comedy relief character, which kind of like works to break the, the general tone of the game in a way. And also... While not really breaking the force ball, he's that one element which is like a like a like a funny comedic wild card which I really like. And I think what really also works with with Minsk is that the fact you know that he he doesn't you know like he he's not a character like like Deadpool or so that's intended to be cool. And like, don't get me wrong, I love Deadpool, but um you know he's just like an absolute sweetheart. Like he's the yeah. sweetest possible guy you can imagine. Like you know he just he deeply cares around people like everybody around him. Like you know if somebody suffers a loss or so he tries to console them. Like he's just a super nice guy. Unless you're evil, then he has to kick your ass. That's just how he rolls. That's he has to. It's obligated. Uh, yeah, and yeah, like and and then Boo has to go for the eyes because cool, that's what do, we, we it wouldn't be good if he didn't. We well, have to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um. Go for the eyes, Boo! Go for the eyes! I think he, I think he gets oh, shit. better I just, every I just time. Star- I just startled a sleeping cat next to me. He's, like, he's now sitting up. He's like, what the fuck? What? What? Just looking around in, in confusion. It, it does. It gets better every time we make you do that on this show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just. I just love Minsk. He's, he's just fantastic. He's also starred in several really funny um, comic series since. For real? Yep. Yeah. There's oh, an cool. ongoing. There's an ongoing. Um, uh, initially, it was called Baldur's Gate. Now it's all kinds of names. Um, D and D comic series mm-hmm. from uh, IWD Publishing, and he's the only you know like, character from the video. Sorry, video games in there, and he's again like just just a super sweet guy. And there's lots of evil ass that must be kicked. Does he still have Boo? Well, naturally, like how okay. how else would you? I don't know if they were going for like a tragedy here at some point, you know. This is like, not a Peter Molyneux game, like Robin, also, you know. Hmm? There's also a miniature from Army Painter, and uh, I think I'm gonna buy this one after this uh, podcast. <laughs> Paint that hamster. Should you absolutely should? But yeah, I think. Uh, the, uh, Pretty much, this this was the starting point, and then if you look at um, at you know the the following Bioware games, I think everyone, every single one of them, with yeah maybe the exception of Anthem, there is at least one, but usually more, you know, super memorable beloved characters. I also have to say one one that rarely gets brought up, maybe because you know it's it's not as iconic in game a game as as um, Mass Effect or Dragon Age or something is uh, what's his name? I think Hen Pecker Ho from from um uh, Jade Empire. Like he doesn't join your party, like he doesn't follow you around. Like you know you're just you're just traveling by yourself but you have like this cadre of of NPCs around you. And he is he's like a super nice guy. He's absolutely, absolutely no under his wife's boot. 
Like he 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 cannot say anything to you without asking her if it's cool first. But like for example, that that is a character um, that I always think you know it's it's a bit of a shame that not more people know him because like he is, I think one of the best comedic relief characters that Bioware has. But um, yeah, to each your own. I mean, I, I heard there's people out there who don't like Deadpool, for example. I I think it's think more overrated. It's more uh, Deadpool cosplayers. Oh okay. Yeah. Like, like that, Deadpool. Uh, Deadpool's all right. Small safe for work or non-safe for work? Um, I, well, I guess if you add the non-safe for work, it gets back. Like I, I get points back, so I'm, I'm on it. That makes sense. It does. So I mean, like this, this is Baldur's Gate was your was the was the one of these games that we were talking about that that you wanted to talk about like the most. Right. Absolutely. Like, like yeah, this is absolutely this is your your game of '98, pretty much. I would say, maybe. Um. um yeah, I'd have to say so. Tell tell me tell me why. Oh, like that's what? a game of that's a game of 2020, actually. <laughs> like, like, it's, an, I, it's an Xbox Game Pass, Busty. Oh man, it's on Game Pass. So I mean, like, like a, it, it sounds like this this game had a pretty pretty big impact on you, and I want to know I want to know more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when when I first started playing PC games, um, roughly a year or so before that came out, initially I played almost exclusively real-time strategy games. Like it was a running joke for my friends for a while that like every major real-time strategy game that came out for for the next couple of years, you could bet Marcel would have played it and ask him his opinion about it. Uh, with the exception, like in between, occasional like some shooters. Um, you know, one of the first games I played was Jedi Knights because I'm a Star Wars nerd, obviously. And then later on, you know, of course, Half Life, and then Counter Strike, and all of that. But it was mostly real-time strategy games and as i mentioned you know really what tricked me into trying this was like i loved fantasy um i had previously you know as a teenager read a lot of the rings i was completely blown away by it um i loved real-time strategy i loved pretty graphics Baldur's gate had all of that pretty much and i was like okay um this this sounds like you know like kind of like lord of the rings-esque it looks very pretty and it plays like a real-time strategy game. What's not to love and try? And um, so that is how they tricked me into RPGs. And obviously, you know, RPGs then are, are became one of my favorite genres that I still love playing to this day. That is one side. The other side is that literally, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, um, Baldur's Gate has had a huge impact on my life ever since. Uh, for the for the chain of effects, that is, uh, Marcel loved Baldur's Gate. Marcel loves Star Wars. Rumors say Bioware, makers of Baldur's Gate, maybe work on Star Wars RPG. Marcel gets super hyped for that. Um, it's confirmed. Bioware is working on a game called Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Marcel is super hyped. Young Marcel was back then still a very active and positive person. It was like, I want to do you know something with this. So he um, got together with a few people and worked on a fan site. Um, because that was a thing back then still, you know, when people mostly used fan sites because there was no social media or Discord channels and stuff like that. And that fan site, um, StarWarsNights.com, uh, happened, you know, to become the, the biggest or like, you know, the most popular in the world for that game, uh, which meant that, you know, we we had contacts with LucasArts as the publisher. They would give us uh, a couple of times exclusive wallpapers um, that they would debut on our fan sites for, for people to get them. I got to do a written interview with uh, Casey Hudson, who was the, the project lead on uh, Knights of the Old Republic and later on Mass Effect. And then, of course, so, uh, for a while, he was also in charge of Bioware in total uh, as a whole. And um, so that was all 2002 to 2004, 5 roughly. 
And, you know, then, of course, I did my studies and all of that. And after I finished my studies, I was like, I want to work in the games industry. And I applied up and down Germany. I think I pretty much every major German games company at the time, a major games company that has a presence in Germany at the time, I probably... You know, applied there. Sometimes I did an interview, sometimes not, uh, and and nothing worked out. And this was also happened to be the time when Bioware was about to release um, the Old Republic, a, a MMORPG set in the same you know, world story linear uh, continuity as as Knights of the Old Republic. And so, yup, young up and coming hopeful Marcel applied there, and they were like, you know, um, we're looking for somebody who has job experience. You have none of that. You're straight from university, but. We noticed on your CV that a couple of years ago, you know, you were really passionate about Knights of the Old Republic and ran this fan site. Tell us more about it. I told them more about it. And they were like, okay, you know, you don't have the the, of the proper professional job experience, um, but we like your passion. We, we're going to take a chance on you and we're going to give you this job. So uh, my first job in the games industry was as a, a German community coordinator um, working in Ireland uh, on uh, Star Wars, the Old Republic. Um, yeah, so really, you can say that you can you can directly trace the line from Baldur's Gate coming out and blowing me away to me having a my first job in the games industry. Um, now it's um, close to 10 years later. It's going to be 10 years in November that I have been working in this industry. I wouldn't have met Richard, uh, you, <laughs> without, without sure. working in the games industry. And I certainly wouldn't have met Busty because Busty has a kind of similar origin story. So, I mean, like, it's good that that basically Baldur's Gate led you to me. Um, that was you are the Minsk to my boo. Oh God, I will go for the eyes. Um, wait, no, no. That's me, you go. Yeah, that's you me. go for the eyes. Actually, if you think about it, like Busty, Busty, I can, I can, I can see certain similarities between Richard and Minsk. What do you think? Like he's like you know like a big, but if actually I look very cuddly, nice teddy bear. He's super fat. He likes to go, like, go for for uh, the weak spot. Absolutely. Oh, it's because he's bald. I see. Oh. Whatever, yeah. you motherfuckers. Um, so, so actually, I had a couple interesting because you 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 told that story um, a little breathlessly, so I had to like I had to almost take mental notes. Um, it, it was it was interesting that the game got you into it the same way that you kind of described, like like you're a you're a case study for. Oh, I guess I'll try this in in a thing that you wouldn't have previously tried, which um, absolutely, which is is super cool. Um, also, I. Uh, I want you to know that uh, StarWarsKnights.com now leads directly to hardcore porn. Um, oh no, wait! I I just forgot the K in knights. So <laughs> be careful with your URLs there. But that, 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 that's super neat. Like this is this is the uh, this is like your origin story uh, in a, in a game. Much. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's really cool. All because of a fan site. And you yeah, got to, uh, honestly, yeah. I don't know what it's like these days. You know, obviously, since then, also, you know, obviously, since Baldur's Game came out, but I feel like even in the 10 or like nine years to nine and a half years since I joined the industry, like, you know, it, it gets more professional all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, obviously, you can't tell that that's a super professional, but like, it feels like, you know, also job requirements are sort of getting more and more professional. So I'm not sure how well it works these days. Um, For example, if I were to hire somebody for a community position or so, 
and and they had like a lot of experience with you know running fan sets or something that would absolutely be something that i would be looking for that would be you know uh, would would be okay this is really an interesting experience that person has i don't know if overall it works like that still but it feels to me that for a a long time um stuff like fan sets or so were like a a very common and perfect entryway into you know work in that space like you know sure. um, a community pr marketing all of that yeah well especially for community right because it's it's almost one to one thought like uh like 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 soft scale build up you know i mean yeah you're 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 kind of applying the same mentality to i want people to visit this and interact and have a good time with it and i think that's that's the foundation um probably if anything i think probably the more the more uh uh technical job like like you always read stories about people that like started out in the industry way back and they were like well i you know these guys were looking for a game designer and i was like i guess i could do it and so you know they did it nowadays that's like something where you'd, you'd want a degree or a bunch of a bunch of experience so it, it's it's neat um it's neat and weird where you think about like those 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 kind of throwaway careers like i'm gonna youtuber or i'm gonna do this like how that can translate to actual like industry careers because you know that's a that's a huge part of the industry nowadays absolutely But yeah, like uh, so. So was that was that you said you had questions, but then you didn't ask any questions, really? I didn't so, ask. I, no, I had observations. I meant to ask questions. Okay, I was. Oh no. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I don't. I don't think I had any. No, no questions. So yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, one of the reasons we we picked Baldur's Gate is, is not just you know that that means a lot to me, uh, but also of course that it really had a tangible long-term effects on the games industry um because yeah. as we mentioned um you know before before Baldur's Gate came out rpgs were kind of like on on the decline because they were said to be boring and ugly some people would say clunky uh, i i wouldn't say that but you know That's some people would word. say clunky. Yeah. we got to put a counter up for this if this clunky, was a video counter, we absolutely should have the clunky counter. a clunky counter yeah like a, like a swear jar yeah, if we if we if we did video podcasts, we would have a clunky and an Xbox Game Pass counter somewhere in the corner, <laughs> and Bust would try to keep them in perfect balance. <laughs> so yeah, if you look at the impact, I mean, Baldur's Gate obviously started a, a RPG series itself that is ongoing to this day. So I'm just gonna very quickly, you know, not not go to in depth run through that. So um, Baldur's Gate came out '98. Um, it was followed the following year in '99 by Tales of the Sword Coast, which was you know a classic expansion because kids there was a time when you didn't have dlcs you couldn't download stuff um you had to go to the shop and buy a new disc and then you installed that over your existing installation then it merged and you could have more content uh, a very advanced very very bold technique um you know tales of sword coast it was good like the, the, it was you know some some interesting new new side quests in between some new regions you fought with uh, i think there was some um some werewolves and you're know, like a really in-depth with the tons of puzzles um magical uh, tower dungeon stuff like that how gated off was it back then like um like you notice like now like uh like shadow broker you know maybe kind of goes into the into the integrates itself into the story right but like mm. you know I, I seem to remember a lot of early expansion stuff just being it's kind of in a little area just kind of off to the side so pretty much how, yeah i mean you, yeah. yeah you had like you know like like in a fallout or so you had a um an overworld map that you traveled in between. So like you have these these really beautiful that, that Basti explained previously, you know, like um, beautiful maps, you know, with the with the um with the art 
Um, and if you left a region between that, you would just travel on like a, a map of the sort because like I'm going to travel from this location to this location. And um, essentially, uh, the expansion just added more more of those locations on your map. It's like, hey, there's a new place there. Hey, that sounds like there's werewolves. I'm going to travel there. So with this kind of like story-based games back in the days, the focus on, on, on post-launch content was mainly to market it for people and to create it for people who usually finished the base game while nowadays you have a lot of like in-between stuff or extra content which might not impact the story as much or can you just like jump to the side for a second but uh, correct me if i'm wrong myself but i think in, in case of Baldur's skate series was mostly about like okay you have your uh, end game character um now you have another another adventure you can play usually I mean, one or two years later after uh, the, the yeah, not quite. Like, like the, the thing was here, and that was that was a bit surprising. To me. I'm going to get to in a second. Is so in Baldur's Gate, um, unlike many RPGs, uh, the moment you finish the game, it's over. Like there is no post game. So um, the the new stuff in Tales of the Sword Coast, it was kind of high level ah, but you true. couldn't fin do it after the game and I, and I absolutely thought you could so when when later on I played the enhanced edition and it was like wait why is why is my game over I would have loved to play this and I complained about this on Twitter like actually the developers of the enhanced edition told me um, it was always like that in Baldur's Gate it was like god damn it memory so uh, yeah. me. but again here like the, the thing was with, with Baldur's Gate is that there is never any, you know, levels being communicated or something. So you have absolutely no idea if something is going to be too powerful for you or not until you try it. So, so yeah, it, it's possible, of course, that if you bought, you know, like Tales of the Circle straight up, um, you could just summon to these regions and get your ass kicked the way Minsk would kick Evil's ass. But, you know, then then you know you reload the save and maybe you're going to come back later. Um, more important than, than the expansion is Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Am, which came out in 2000, uh, so roughly two years. And you just just imagine that, you know, these days a, a huge um, RPG sequel coming out two years, only two years later. Uh, Baldur's Gate 2 is um, even more so than the first game. I think it's widely considered one of the best PC games ever made. Uh, it's a huge game. Um, it is easily over 100 hours playtime, which you know is these days mostly reserved for open world games. Made I was by about to say. Think about yeah, like the, the, the last game I put 100 hours into is Divinity 2, so I was like, oh no. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 ginormous. It's it has a markedly uh, darker tone. Um, the game begins. I'm not going to go into too much spoilers, but you know, it's just like the first half hour of the game. Uh, you have been trapped by a powerful mage in his dungeon where he's doing some weird human testing on you. And in the first half hour, you already realize uh, that several of your characters, or like, you know, characters from the first game have been killed. Oh, is it the so, same character? Um, sorry? Are you playing the same you, character? You, 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 can ca you can carry over your character, like, you know, you can import your save game from Baldur's Gate uh... 1 into 2, or if not, you just create a new character. But yeah, like the, the events of Baldur's Gate 1, it, it directly ties ties into them. Is, is 3 so, tied in um, the same way? 3 has absolutely nothing to do with that. Okay, okay. 3 is... Uh, three is a a new uh, a new developer, a new right. graphics engine, a yeah. new combat system, right. uh, a new rule system has nothing to do. With it. Really, Baldur's Gate three is like where you say they want to preserve the spirit of of the Baldur's Gate games, but every and uh, and it's it's again it's 
presumably set somewhere on the Sword Coast or, you know, with Baldur's Gate and Waterdeep, which are the most two most frequently shown cities in, in that setting in yeah. video games and in, in general and fiction. But otherwise, it's completely like the, the you know the the plot is completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, Baldur's Gate 2, uh, absolutely fantastic game. Um, if you're a, a fan of you know PC RPGs, um, it's a must-play. Again, markedly darker tone, but like even then, like the writing has you. You can see like whereas the first one was a rookie effort for many of them, like in by two already, a lot of it has really matured, and it's it's an all-time great. Um, and the same is true for Throne of Ball, which came out the following year. Throne of Ball is the expansion pack to um, Baldur's Gate. Two, so uh, again, and here it's it's kind of like bust dimension. It's not just adding new, um, new um, you know stuff in between new areas, but it's actually I think thirty hours or so of of what happens after the end of Baldur's Gate Two. So in a way, Baldur's Gate is kind of like a trilogy, but it's only two games because Throne of Ball, the expansion, was actually the third chapter of it. But like this is where the the yeah, as the name implies, Throne of Ball. Like this is where the story um, ends. You know the the events of Baldur's Gate one and two all lead up to this. It's a it's a grand finale, and um, here same as with the base game, it is among press and gamers widely praised as one of the best expansion packs ever made for a PC game. Usually, it's mentioned alongside uh, alongside Warcraft 3's uh, Frozen Throne expansion. Those came out in within a year or so of each other, and it was really like the one two pun uh, one two punch of you know this is expansion pack perfection in the mm. sense of like it's just fantastic quality. It meaningfully expands the game. It you know it offers new stuff, and yeah. It's the kind of stuff, again, a throne of ball, I'm sure a lot of companies or people would have sold it as a third standalone game. That's that's a pretty strong finish then to that, uh, not counting three, right? Like Absolutely. That and that was that was the end of, of Baldur's Gate for Bioware. Yeah. Um, there were several attempts by Black Isle, which, you know, mm-hmm. the, the so Baldur's Gate was, was published by Interplay, as we mentioned, and Black Isle was their own in-house RPG label, the guys who made Fallout, and would use the, the Baldur's Gate engine again here, like the impact of Baldur's Gate, you know, with the Infinity engine, it was not just used for Baldur's Gate, but for some other all-time greats, including, of course, Planescape Torment, which I think still many people consider one of the best stories in a Absolutely. video game in general. And you know, one of the best RPGs or PC games ever. And the Black Algae, but guys, they had several attempts to create a a Baldur's Gate three. Uh, the most promising one that got the furthest along was uh, Project Jefferson, because Bald- uh, Black Isle had this thing of like all of their um, project code names were U.S. presidents. Like for example, um, the cancelled Fallout three was Van Buren. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is probably a yeah. Van Buren, I knew. I I, I just didn't. I didn't. Know. I did not piece that together. Like I knew what I know what Van Buren is, but I did not realize that they project named as U.S. presidents is kind of cool. Did it and and uh, Baldur's Gate three was was Project Jefferson. It was supposed to be called uh, the Black Hound, but yeah, uh, you know, as as Interplay and Black Isle faltered, that game never came out. Um, most of those guys then founded Obsidian, where they didn't work on a new Baldur's Gate game. Oh, so that was the end for a long time of you know the PC branch. 
Um, there was, however, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, which came out in 2001, uh, completely unrelated except, you know, for the name recognition. It was a graphically very impressive, especially the water blew me away at the time, um, hack and slay game similar to Diablo that was initially exclusive to the PS2. And funnily enough, you know, Baldur's Gate, I was, I was enough into Baldur's Gate at the time that this was the game that brought PC gamer Marcel over to consoles, essentially, um, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance was was my personal console gaming killer app that got me to to buy my you know or like ask for receive for Christmas my first console um, with, with with Dark Alliance it was a ton of fun played it you know four hours and hours with my brother in split screen co op it really really incredible graphics for the time I have to say and um, you know it was successful enough not only with the with the much wanted and sought after Hatam. Uh, audience, but also seemingly enough other players that they made a sequel to that. Uh, Dark Alliance 2 came out in 2004. You know, it was a solid sequel, multi-platform this time around, so on PS2, on Xbox, and on Nintendo GameCube. And um, then, you know, things would get very, very quiet around the Baldur's Gate name for a long time until uh, 2012. And that was when Beamdog, so I had, you know... Beamdog... I don't know how long ago, like like an hour or so ago, feels like, I don't know. We talked about the origins of Bioware and like Steel, um, what's it called? Steel, Steel, help me. Steel, oh, no, no, I've got it too. Steel Division, Steel Games, Steel Panther. Uh, Shattered Steel. Shattered Steel. Shattered Steel. Yeah, like Shattered Steel was brought almost completed to Bioware by a guy called Trent Oster. So he was mm-hmm. one of, you know, um, he would later on be example be the project lead for Neverwinter Nights and then he would leave Bioware he founded his own company called Beamdog and Beamdog in 2012 released the first remaster of one of the Obsidian uh, sorry the Infinity Engine games uh, called Baldur's Game Enhanced Edition so it was just a remaster um, you know that was just a little bit more polished a little more pretty um, as, as Basti mentioned a lot of the initial stuff was hard coded uh, when they made Baldur's Gate so like you know it was probably quite the fight for them to do stuff like uprest the, the UI to higher resolutions and all of that and um, they also added some new content I think like totally added three or four new companions, some new regions, and also brought it to new platforms like iOS, for example. And yeah, that happened in 2012. And then in 2013, they followed it up with the Baldur's Gate 2 Enhanced Edition. So yeah, you had your remasters. And what really was like the interesting thing from Beamlock happened in 2016 when they released Siege of Dragonspear. It was... Um, 18 years after Baldur's Gate, it was an all-new game using the Infinity Engine, and this one essentially bridges the gap between um, the events of Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. So it, it fits ah. in there. Um, Siege of Dragonspear starts the moment that Baldur's Gate ends. And, you know, it, it leaves off, right, essentially, as you're kidnapped so you can wake up in Baldur's Gate 2 and be imprisoned in that dungeon. Like, it really completely, you know, fills that gap in between. Um, we all know what that's like. Not sure what, what that means. Huh? What? Huh? huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I played it. Uh, I was going to say last year, but it's 2021, I think. Uh, nah. I played it in the recent past on my Switch for the first time, Citra Frank Spear. And yeah, yeah, I think they, they did a really good job, you know, fitting, uh, like hitting the tone. You, you just have more adventures with your beloved crew. So yeah, it it bridges that gap quite nicely. And that brings us to, to what Richard already spoiled. Thanks, Richard. I got excited. At E3 2019, um, 
one of the you know the, the, the big standout announcements for a lot of people obviously including me was that uh, Larian developers of the incredibly well received Divinity original Sin RPGs were making Baldur's Gate 3 mm-hmm. I remember it was it was super stupid like they put up a teaser that was just a a 3 like you know on the website just an yes. image of a 3 with like yeah. some tentacles on it everybody of course assumed like yeah you know it's 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 Divinity Original Sin 3, of course. Right, of course. They're going to make a sequel to the game that they're famous for making. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And somebody saved the image and was like, why is this thumbnail called BG3? (laughs) And then they were the first people like, wait, they no, surely they cannot be making Baldur's Gate 3. Can they? That's you know, that was like that was like really peak unfortunate decision making right there. And this is a very good example, you know, why why you want to have code names. Like Van Buren or whatever. Just you know, just don't call it BG3, because I think that would have really, you know, been one of the um, biggest E3 surprises, at least in PC history, I would say, mm-hmm. if it hadn't been spoiled, you know, five days before. Um, but yeah, so uh, so Larry and they're working on Baldur's Gate 3. Um, the demand seems to be there when they launched Early Access uh, as a full-priced game, so there's like a $60 Early Access game. Launched last October, within six days, they sold over a million copies, which I think makes it the, at least for a high, full price game, one of the fastest selling, um, you know, um, early access games ever. I think they're at like over two million sales now, steadily, uh, you know, slaving away. I think last week or so, um, or like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they released... Um, a huge new update that added, for example, the Druid as a new character, which, and you know, if you played Original Sin, you know, they, they love doing their animal dialogue. There's always a lot of fun and and weirdness there, so I'm sure the druid will have a lot of fun in that game as well. Yeah, yeah, the the, the talk to animals thing is uh, yeah, it's a big so. Pickup. So no idea when it's going to come out. Uh, hopefully this year I had it on my list, you know, for games I'm looking forward to the most for this year. Not sure if it's going to happen or not. But Do you know how they're doing it? Are they doing out, like episodic or like? Like, they, acts, I, I think the early acts, access right? is, is mostly the first act of the game. Right. And uh, if I remember right, Divinity 2 had four acts, five acts. Um, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know how many, but we'll see. I am confident, based on what I played so far and based on Original Sin and ignoring things like Cyberpunk, um, that when it comes out, I think it's going to be a contender probably for Game of the Year. You know, if they can live up to their previous work, because... Um, Crossed yeah. fingers. It seems like they're already out there. I mean, there's gameplay there, and there's there's stuff there. I think they it's a the the only problem I could point out is that maybe it's a little more divinity than it is Baldur's Gate, but you know, hey, it seems uh, seems all right. Yeah, and I mean, you know, um, yeah, like what what I've played so far. Like for example, so so some of the stuff is still pretty rough. Like you know, cutscenes or so. You can see it's it's very placeholdery. The combat already, you know, I've I've played combat systems in in released games that failed less polished. Like the combat is really really super satisfying there already. So I I have very high hopes. But yeah, as as mentioned before, when you asked Richard, um, the the similarities between Baldur's Gate two, uh, sorry, Baldur's Gate one and two and three, are pretty limited. It's um, it's again set in the Forgotten Realms. It's in Faerun. It's on the Sword Coast somewhere. Um. But apart from that, um, Baldur's Gate 3 has four characters in your party. The previous games had six. It's not isometric, or yeah, it's still kind of isometric, but it's like full 3D now. Um, it's turn-based. There's no real-time or pause. Um, it's just fully turn-based. It's a different rule system. Um, yeah. 
but I, I really hope they can preserve the and I think that's why you know what has that name they want to preserve that spirit of the Infinity Engine games and I think that is really something that like you know that, that means something to people who play those games like um, I remember when the first wave of big PC RPG Kickstarters came around you know your your Torments and Pillars of Eternity they all talked about like you know it's it's an Infinity Engine kind of game and like the people who play those games knew what that meant yeah so like it's almost you know like like um like people saying you know german style board games you have an idea of like okay i, I roughly can imagine what this is going to be about it is just a just a dip in it is sitting comfortably at a very positive on steam uh in their last update they've been uh they've been finalizing their transmogrification spell i mean well i'm i'm still on on total like uh information that might be a joke sorry i see that Larian writes funny little updates. How adorable. I have no idea what they're doing. The 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 YouTube thumbnail on their latest update says from hell. But that also could be a uh a pat- It's doing good. Game's doing good. <laughs> I mean the the early access of that game made me basically um putting everything from 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 Larian Studios on, on a total information blackout so I have no go- not no idea what's going on. Probably I blocked oh. that studio so much. My key phrase is that even if uh, Larian would explode or shut down tomorrow, I wouldn't even notice because Baldur's Gate 3 is so much like this is the most anticipated game for me that I uh, don't want to be, be spoiled. But Well, now, here's the question. Do you wait for it to come out of early access or do you wait for it to come out with the enhanced edition that they that do for is- their games? And Richard, that is actually yeah. a really good question because coming from, from, from Divinity, I might want to wait until this game is uh, in presented in the in the most perfect way possible i don't know Baldur's Gate I mean, 3 coming to be Basti in than me talking about it what's that i feel like me talking about a game on a podcast is the most perfect possible way to present it I see. <laughs> uh, but to jump on one thing uh, you said before Marcel like for me funny enough um divinity was already like this is the spiritual successor game even from a mechanics to the old Baldur's Gate series I'm not even sure if I want to have that actual uh, idea or, or core of the old Infinity games preserved because it might be a case of but because I haven't played the enhanced games it might be a case of in my memories I really liked it but maybe um, there was a thing of the 90s I don't want it to return uh, maybe the kind of like modern round-based combat without the freedom to experiment and do crazy shit of larian games etc is absolutely fine for me i'm not even sure like about a game set in the Baldur's Gate um setting uh with a lot of like the the quirkiness of the characters the races etc everything tied to that and proper storytelling in the way presented and framed as a, a divinity game when it comes to mechanics and stuff maybe it's for me the the perfect way of of playing Baldur's Gate 3 but it will be interesting to see how many people actually are. They say, okay, this is not Baldur's Gate for me anymore, based on the the old uh, Infinity Engine playstyle or something. That's fair. Um, yeah, we'll see. I think I think for for Baldur's Gate three that that they go turn based makes sense in in the in the technical advancements. Um, you know, in Baldur's Gate. One, you had a fireball spell that goes off, and that's it. But like you know, in in um in the Divinity games, and of course in Baldur's Gate three, like physics are a huge part. You can set half the map on fire to you know cut things off. Um, there is uh there is a quite a lot of verticality. You sound like you're talking from PTSD. Uh, 
I've, I've been there. I got burned by my well, teammates. Friendly fire, Matt. yeah. <laughs> that was Matt, right? That was, I was always Matt. I, I can't put Matt if I, I must be Matt. Thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, I, I think it makes sense. Also, there's a lot of verticality. Like you can you can climb around, you know, to get uh, to get behind people or you know to get like an, a better angle. So I think for the kind of game they make, it makes sense to be turn based. Um, even though I absolutely loved real time uh, with pause, I was super annoyed when a torment, which I backed on Kickstarter, uh, suddenly turned out to be turn based instead of real time with pause. I've I've helped betrayed. But um, I think it, for for what I do with Gate Three, it does make sense. And since I just you know name dropped Cyberpunk, this is also a funny thing that I see sometimes online. You know, from from social media edge lords, is when they're like, oh you know like um, you know that that CD project must be laughing their asses off about like how bad Bioware games are these days. What I think a lot of these people don't realize is that CD project would not exist without Bioware. Um, initially, they made their money from you know uh, releasing interplay games like Baldur's Gate, Fallout, Icewind Dale, whatever, in regions like Poland or the Czech Republic. I think back back then there was still Czechoslovakia. I can't remember when they. I'm gonna just pretend you're right. Um, in, let's say in east, in various Eastern European regions, and actually the first game they ever made, um, you know, The Witcher One, was actually using a Bioware engine. It was using the Aurora engine that Bioware had created for Neverwinter Nights, which was their own uh, follow-up game to Baldur's Gate. So you know, um, mm-hmm. between Baldur's Gate and then doing the non-D&D stuff, they had one more game, which was Neverwinter Nights, which was quite a departure from Baldur's Gate because it was not a party game; it was just you play a single character, um, full 3D, with a heavy, heavy focus on multiplayer for up to 64 players, and uh, a, a editor. So like, uh, so it's essentially Neverwinter Nights tried to be a D&D simulator like people could build like really elaborate adventures modules and then as a dungeon master with a dungeon master mode they can run players groups of players and multiplayer through it so quite different from Baldur's Gate um, of course already there you had ooh this is dumping down it's a single player like there's a single character no part anymore this is for the dummies so like it, it, that that phenomena with, with Bioware fans and their games already started right after Baldur's Gate actually so without uh, yeah, without Baldur's um, Gate, you wouldn't know that Henry Cavill, the PC gamer. There's a chance I would not. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it's it's possible that that he would just be a a really good-looking buff dude somewhere in Hollywood, but I would know that he's he's super hardcore into Total Warhammer and and Warhammer. He's a Total Warhammer nerd. Gotta he, love that guy. He he is a Total Warhammer. That is also true. Could be. I I wouldn't know. That's that's a, a kind of fandom I generally try to stay away unless I accidentally stumble upon it when trying to make a birthday coupon for a friend. I don't know if this is some kind of rolling theme, but if you're going to search for Henry Cavill and Warhammer, you're also going to want to make sure that that safe search is on. Just guys, just turn your safe search on. Or not? Depends what you're looking for. I'm not given the wrong suggestions. Um, questionable, questionable successes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, to, to really end on the topic of, of Baldur's Gate's impact, um, again, we, we just talked about like itself being a long running series, but also really it re sparked the kind of 
I guess these days we would call the genre CRPGs, right? As opposed to JRPGs, and then yeah. something like Mass Effect is just RPG. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. that it's an action RPG? Like, right? Well, yeah, Mass Effect's an I action, would RPG. action yeah. RPG. Okay, okay. But the like, only is, is, the only is just Dragon RPG. Age, is what is like... Dragon Age Inquisition? Is it a CRPG or an ARPG? It's a fantasy RPG. RPG. A CRPG. No, but that, oh, that's, 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 like, a, that's, that's actually Valhalla is, a, is an ACRPG. That's what yeah, that's Valhalla. yeah, that's Valhalla. I wouldn't say that, to be honest, for me, character... Uh, I mean, now we're going back to... Uh, I love I love, I love, love dragging you people into the dumbest genre makes, makes Makes the CRPG the extra character-building aspect or the isometric view and all this kind of like stuff part of the... the... How is it a role-playing game if you're not playing a role? Hey, Richard, remember when we still used to right. go to the office and we said we were you guys were smoking on the balcony and I challenged you to name five what was it? Five Oh god, Xbox yeah, like, yeah, Xbox exclusives. Yeah. And you got close to throwing me off the balcony. That I was, was a great time. That was probably yeah, that was that was a top ten of you taking a taking a sale off the balcony. Unbelievable. No, that's really what dangerous. I like about like subgenres like rogue like or rogue light. Because uh, you have this definition. In the definition, there's a name which spawned the genre, so you can always root back how much is it like this game. Because CRPG, I think it's a the term itself, character RPG, is so generic. While I think the most people have a very strict definition of a CRPG, like um, survival uh, game, like Resident Evil, is also a very loose term. But there's a very strict definition for most people behind that. So, but it is at the end nonsense. But I would say very text-driven, isometric RPGs oh. like Baldur's Gate, etc. For me, is a CRPG. So like I mean, Wasteland like, yeah. two and yeah. three is a CRPG. I agree. We should just totally do it like that. And Baldur's Gate is a Dragon Stomper RPG light. Perfect. Yeah. All I can say is, if you if you guys love discussions about genres, um, you need to look into heavy metal. Because you know, like we we have everything. We have we have power metal. We have speed metal. We have pirate metal. We have symphonic epic Hollywood metal. That's a that's a genre description that somebody uses for their music. Um, we have everything. It's fantastic. You can you, you can discuss also... all day about the finer points. Is this power metal? Mm, but it's like you know, this this guitar like it's pretty fast. Maybe it's. Or is this white oh. power metal? Oh. Oh no. Uh, oh. I I try to avoid that genre. Oh. That's not what your favorite band leader said. Wait. All right. Listen, so the earliest RPG was called Dragon Stomper on the Atari. You just made that up, haven't you? No, I'm serious. That's a fucking dope name. I have to to Google that now. Dragon Stomper sounds like a magical boot. With safety search on Dragon Dragon Stomper is... Dragon Stomper was on the uh, the Atari, and it came out in 1982. I don't even know what an Atari is. Making it older than all of us. But no, actually, wait, no, it's true. No, wait, 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 wait. Atari was the publisher of Neverwinter Nights. There you go. Uh, it, you Ooh, tied it. Segway. You tied it in perfectly. I tied this up tighter than than Siege of Dragon Spear tied up Baldur's Gate one and two. Genre, genre. It says in, in on the German wiki page, it says oh, Japan Rollenspiel, which is Japanese role playing game. It's a genre. Oh, what? No. Well, it was made in, in Japan. In the English page, it's just a role playing. But was it big in Japan? Ooh. I love that song. Snap. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, it, it rang in a resurgence cool. of let's say let's let's say, Baldur's Gate rang in a resurgence of RPG games you could play on your PC that were not made in Japan. 
Love it. Now just shorten that down to an acronym. I can't. Off the top of my head, I forgot what I said already. <laughs> also, but yeah, go ahead, Bastia. We, we completely missed mentioning Icewind Dale because I realized I played every single Icewind Dale game. Well, there's only two. Icewind Dale. Icewind Dale <laughs> Don't two. take and that away from him, Marcel. <laughs> he really shut. Bastia has a hard enough time finishing games than it is without you being like Bastia. There's only two games. No, they are they are really fun games. Uh, I, I like with uh, sorry with Icewind Dale. I really love the the art like like the backgrounds were even better i feel like than in Baldur's gates and i actually i finished icewind dale 2 on gok uh last year during the pandemic i mean there's an enhanced edition right because i have the feeling that of icewind, icewind dale, 1 yes icewind dale 2 there is not and the gok version is super fucking broken why does Let nobody give that. icewind dale some love and why is nobody talking about that anymore i don't know because it's, it's got it's, it's got good. it sounds like a a like southern like redneck who drinks a specific off brand of beer like oh don't worry about that guy shouting and drunk in the parking lot that's just ice wind dale he's over there drinking his fifth pack of ice winds stumbling all over the place just to avoid avoid him that's why never winter uh, night sounds much cooler it's unfair it's just unfair uh, that was a good one, Richard. I liked it. Uh, so yeah, uh, in the early 2000s, following the release of Baldur's Gate, there was a resurgence of this kind of game on PC. Um, you had, you know, a lot of isometric RPGs, also a lot of D&D games like uh, Pools of Radiance, Ruins of Myth, Janor, um, Arcanum, Temple of Elemental Evil, both of which were from Troika, the guys who also made Vampire Bloodlines before being shut down, which seems to be a, a running theme for Bloodlines development teams. Very, very unfortunate. Yeah. And of course, you know, it it started off a long succession of very successful, you know, quite a few Game of the Year contenders or winners in there from Bioware themselves with, you know, Neverwinter Nights, Nazi of the Republic, Jade Empire, Dragon Age, Series, Mass Effect Series, Anthem Series. Hmm. Silence. Yeah, that one, that one's still. Sonic the Dark Brotherhood. (laughs) Okay, I'm back on board. Only only Bioware game uh, RPG I never played. I thought they did Sonic Colors too, or was that not them? No, they just did Sonic the Dark Brotherhood. A Sonic is is that an S RPG? But no, that's a strategy RPG. Is it an S O Sonic RPG? So yeah, it's a Thor Thor RPG. Thor RPG. That that gets us close, danger close to the Thaco again. And yeah, of course these days. Um, it feels like there's almost no games anymore that don't have RPG elements to the point where I think like 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 you know Richard you you just obviously as a joke said how is an RPG if I don't play a role, but I think like really that distinction of what makes an RPG is 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 yeah, really super blurry. Yeah, it, it's it's too it's something you, you know you can debate these days because for some people for a long time it was like well you know if you, if you have character stats or skill trees then it's an RPG, but by that definition. Um, uh, for example, you create a character um, when you start playing uh, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, and you pick different perks for them. Like you have essentially you have different stats for your character in the single player of of Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. I wouldn't call it an RPG for that, um, but yeah, I think this is really something. If you already love genre discussions, then discussing if something is an RPG or has RPG elements or not these days, boy, you're gonna have a lot of fun um, because. 
essentially some part of i know some kind of like character progression skill trees assigning skill points uh, making choices in games that was for a long time considered something if 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 a shooter asked to make choices people were like oh this is a bit like an rpg now because you know that was something associated with that genre in the past uh, so these days yeah I, I just mentioned one um the latest Call of Duty game, you create a character, you pick from different character feats or specializations you want. Uh, you can make choices in that game. Uh, the game has two completely different endings based on what choices you made, on whom you played, based on if you did certain side quests or side missions in between, um, which is all, you know, things that are very danger close to RPGs, I guess. Um, of course, another huge AAA franchise, one of my favorites, as you know, um, Assassin's Creed has has made the jump from having some light RPG elements over the years to the last three, but two games, especially last two games being full on uh RPGs that have, you know, like a lot of dialogue, um, making choices, consequences, different endings based on what you do in the games. So, yeah, um, these days, obviously, I don't want to say that it's all due to Baldur's Gate, but it feels like Baldur's Gate certainly played a part in getting to that point these days where almost everything has some RPG elements in them. Um, Unless you guys completely disagree, at which point I'm just going to mute you. Can I actually? I can't mute somebody from recording. Can I? Yeah, I don't think you get to mute anybody. You can. You can just plug your ears, and it'll have the same effect. Um, okay. Yeah, like like I think uh, the problem. I think I think it. You 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 hit the nail on the head when you said like the term has become blurry. But it's also really funny to me that like even even if I said oh it's got some RPG elements like that super fucking blurry as well these days you're like oh, is it loot is it leveling is it do i have oh, a I love loot. experience right i mean so yeah overwatch is an rpg all right like i mean i think the only way loot could be better like you know if if like it shouldn't just appear out of nothing it should be like in like like some kind of like a crate or maybe a box or something i don't know like would you pay for it if i had to Okay. For me, RPG mechanics are level-based character development. Boom. That's it. All right. So your favorite RPG last year was Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Yeah. Actually, it came out before don't, that. Don't it came out in 2019. Be constructive. No, this is like, in, in, indeed. Like if you have no worries. It's not, it's not like you're user of RPG mechanics. It's an action RPG. Boom. So every yeah everything with any RPG element is a type of RPG. I think that's the only no, way we can settle this. No, ask RPG mechanics. What? When we're talking like what? about like this leveling. kind of like this is like this any is kind RPG of leveling. Mechanic. Like so what percentage of the game's mechanics must be RPG mechanics to be deemed an RPG? Call of Duty. Call of Duty RPG. FIFA. Uh, there's. I mean, RPG. Call of Duty. To be fair, Call of Duty did have RPGs for a very long time. Do you level characters in uh, FIFA? Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, sure. need to get your, you create your, your own player. You create yeah. your own it's player. You do training RPG. sessions and stuff yeah. like that. Dude, I can tell you, Marcel Hatam is like the hottest striker in the Bundesliga right now, in my FIFA game. And it's, it's FIFA, a, so that's it's an a, RPG. It's a yeah. soccer RPG, yeah. Soccer RPG. Boom. Yeah. No. Problem solved. Yeah, every game's an RPG. I think we figured this out. That's why what we come here about... is for these. Final Fantasy. Seven. No, that's not. Come on, man. Nah, I wouldn't like take this far, seriously. Like, seriously. Yeah, yeah. You don't play a role. Cloud is a person. That, that was actually, but to be honest, you know, it sounds like weird to you, but like, 
that was something that at least you know some of the the the, the PC RPG communities or so I was in like it was it was up for debate. If something that sounds like, Final like fantasy is like you because you, you play through a linear story, yeah. there is not that much character progression like in you know in back then that you did assign stuff or so. So like that was something where people were legitimately discussing: is this a proper RPG or not? I'm sure those same people, if they're still alive, would be rotating. Oh, wait, if they wait, wait, oh, if oh. they were not alive, they would be rotating in their graves to hear us talk about Call of Duty in this context. But you know, such such as such is the way of things. That that is genre discussions happen on the internet and they're all terrible. Didn't we just have one? Does yeah, make us, it was are, terrible. Are we the we terrible ones now, Richard? Uh, are we the baddies? Yes, we are, sir. Okay. Well, I think that really seals it up, right? What else is there to say about uh, Baldur's Gate except for it's one of the finest <laughs> games ever made. Hey, listen. Uh, as the Enhanced we... Edition is available on pretty much every platform these days from so, tablets yeah. to all consoles to PC. So really, just give it a try. And Richard, what were you saying? <laughs> I was saying, like, you're right. Like, we through, through the course of this discussion, we have discovered that Baldur's Gate um, spawned RPGs, and RPGs are all video games. So thank you for video games, really, Baldur's Gate. But no, like, like honestly, I, I, I learned a bunch about it. I think, um, I think it's, it's, it's neat to finally, uh, really dive deep into a game that I've only heard you kind of like, like, reverently refer to a, a lot. So, um, and and hopefully, like, uh, like I think that was one of the more interesting things when we were putting this together is like how much of an impact, how much of a lasting impact this thing really had. You know, like a lot of these, a lot of these titles have have uh, ripples that you don't always see, but um, that's that's a, a really until cool you start game. playing the latest Call of Duty game. Yeah, and then and then you're like, oh, they great character. Yeah, I name all my M16s Boo because I go for the eyes. I've seen you play Call of Duty and no, you don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I usually just get shot. Yeah. But we had fun in Warzone. <laughs> hey, remember when we wanted to play Warzone with Bustin? He was a no-show. That was cool. Just like Divinity, inspired by Baldur's Gate. Call of Duty with me? And I said yes. Warzone, yeah. No. Mm. Mm. I mean, at this point, you should be familiar how much of a fan of the Call of Duty series I am, so... You, you never really were into RPGs. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, um, I had fun. I had fun, you know, obviously gushing about one of my favorite games ever. I had fun educating you, Richard. I feel like, you know, I contribute yeah. so much to educating the young people of the world. Like you, you're a young people, right? Of course, I am the spirit of youth itself. In in the context of people playing CRPGs, you're probably a youngster. I think in the context of uh, yeah, people playing old old ass computer RPGs, definitely uh, barely dip my toes in. That's fair. So, um, I hope Basti you also had fun. Being Basti being I, in the mild, mild middle of being educated, but also educating Richard himself. To be honest, uh, I I miss the good old CRPG times. At the same time, I don't have time anymore for the good old CRPG times. Uh, but um, man, I want to play Icewind Dale again. All I'm saying is, you know, Baldur's Gate Three will have co-op. Icewind Dale ain't gonna take that line down. You better get back here with Icewind Dale's money. <laughs> so, 2025, Baldur's Gate 3, uh, enhanced, definitive, uh, ultimate edition. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm ready. Yep. It's gonna be, it's gonna be great. <laughs> so, uh, thank you to your audience for, for hopefully sticking with us through you know, the first um, 
first version, uh, first full episode of the new. I almost said Baldur's Gate, goddammit. Of the new Baldur's Gate <laughs> launch podcast, yep. the Projectile Launchcast. Uh, we hope you like this. Uh, since it's something new for us, I think we're super excited to hear any kind of feedback. Um, yeah. Be it via social media on Twitter at Plungecast, be it via email at projectilelunchcast at gmail.com, be it via, via you know, fax to Icewind Dale in Chattanooga. <laughs> um, I forgot which state Chattanooga is in. Uh, I know they have a train there. Tennessee? Oh, yeah, right, it's Tennessee. Very good, nice, thanks. I had a friend once, an online friend that I played video games with who was from Chattanooga. And wow. they cracked me up every single time. Um, yeah, please tell us if you like this or not. Um, uh, tell us what you what more you would like to see in the future. You know, if you... Uh, yeah, essentially, I think anything. Any kind of feedback, positive, negative praising, um, telling us about all the things you found out about Henry Cavill with Safe Search on or off, please do tell us. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we look forward to doing more of these. And I think we have a couple more very interesting games lined up from the year 1998. And I'm personally very much looking forward to you know covering some of the games that I know less about, maybe on the console side. Yeah, it's going to be, we have, a, we have a lot of interesting stuff to get into. There's going to be some weird stuff and some really fun stuff. So stick around, give it a, give it a listen. Be a good time. See you next time. Bye-bye. Ah, we are all heroes. You and Boo and I. Hamsters and rangers everywhere. Rejoice! (laughs)